Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear QA Live number 242. <laughs> and uh, 242 episodes in and I'm still going to have to look to what episode it is right before <laughs> I say the episode. You'd think I would remember it considering I typed it in about a few minutes ago. Um, <laughs> so uh, hopefully everybody had a good week and is ready for their weekends to start. And before we start weekends, we'll start with some guitar talk, some guitar questions, uh, talk about some stuff. I don't know, whatever you guys want to talk about. <laughs> the show is essentially uh, uh, you guys talking about guitars and I'm talking about guitars and we'll do that. If you're new to the show and you want to uh, get a subject to me or question, please put a question mark first or you can use the at Philip McKnight so that it, I see it's directed towards me. And uh, also, you can also do a super chat as you as you guys, some of you guys know. And I try to get to as many questions as possible, including as many of the super chats as possible. And uh, what else? That's about it. But of course, the other thing we do, the big tradition here is to try to reward uh, the people who come early put some questions in early because, again, it helps me start the show, get the momentum going. And the first question was, well, I don't know if this is the first question, but it's the ones I grabbed the first questions. I don't know if I copy and paste them in exact order. Uh, the first one comes from 3J Music, who says, hey, Phil, you've been talking about how you've been recording music. Uh, can you expand on that question mark? Is there an album coming question mark? Oh, can I talk about it? Sure, I can. Um, basically... I, uh, this is a, again, I talk about this every once in a while about maybe, maybe fun for, I don't know if it'd be fun for you guys, but to do a once, maybe once a month or once every quarter, probably once a quarter, maybe a, a themed show just about YouTube for those interested in YouTube. So we don't bore the, the guitar enthusiasts here, not interested in YouTube. Um, in YouTube, I've been very strict about making sure the trademarks and, and, uh, and copyrights and everything I've been doing on my channel since its uh, inception have been in line. In other words, doing the right things. So uh, trying not to use copyrighted material, trying not to use anything as trademarked. Uh, of course, you know, keep keep doing that. And as you go through this journey, um, what I think you're going to continue to learn is, is that it's getting harder and harder. So um, what I like to use is backing tracks. Um, sometimes when I'm talking in the video, sometimes a little music here and there to keep, keep things exciting. And um, I've purchased some... Um, you know, copyrighted music that I can use in my videos. But even then it gets a little creepy. I don't know if you guys have seen in some of the videos when there's music and videos, especially ones I use where I'm paying for the licensed music, you'll see license codes, uh, whether you've noticed them or not in the description somewhere. That's so that if they decide to still flag me, <laughs> they can see that there's a paid license code that I actually purchased the music or license to use the music. So basically what I did is... Um, I, uh, I started recording an album. So uh, what I did, it's been a little over a year now, and um, I'm not, I haven't recorded the actual album yet. I've recorded all the music because um, obviously I'm preparing for the recording part of the album, so that'll be coming soon. But yes, I've been recording it all uh, here with my recording software, with my uh, gear, and then I will be going into a studio and then kind of then kind of expanding that. And it's to make an album, but only so that way the album can be like copyrighted. And then uh, when I play the backing tracks, I'll, there'll be my backing tracks. When I play background music, it'll be my black background music. So therefore, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be copyright uh, protected. And, uh, and even then I'll probably still get claims. <laughs> it doesn't come up very often on this, on these uh, shows and platforms very much, but you guys hear about it often that YouTubers get flagged. And, 
Um, I just got flagged a couple of days ago for three videos uh, and um, no explanation why, and then unflagged from them. But literally for hours, probably in their prime time of viewership, I I wasn't getting compensated for anything, any views. So, uh, you know, I can't stop that, and this won't stop that either. But you can understand, it's you're trying to. I'm trying to make sure to ensure on my end that I'm doing everything right. <laughs> you know, if they still jack with you, there's nothing you're going to be able to do about that. You know, right? You can only control yourself in this world, and that's it. So that's why I'm doing that for. And plus, it's fun. I want to do it because it's fun. Um, it's uh, it's been a little journey. Um, I, I've talked about this very rarely once before. I, I I've only recorded one album before. It was an all bass album. It was like back in 2004. Might have been 2002. 2002, and uh, uh, you know I don't even think I own a copy anymore. <laughs> I'm sure I do. I'm sure there's one downstairs somewhere. But what's funny is is, is um, I sold quite a few. It was a really strange uh, uh, thing in my life. Now quite a few. I'm not. I don't want to exaggerate, but it was a couple thousand. You know what I mean? Maybe two, three thousand somewhere all to- all in. So, uh, so I-, I like to do it again and uh, for fun. Like I said, this is for fun, and uh, and of course then I'll own it. And then I saw a question. Somebody said, "Why go in the studio?" Hold on, um, somewhere. <laughs> I know I saw it. I know I saw it. Trust me, I saw somebody say, "Why go in the studio?" So I want to respond to that. Oh, there it is. Kevin says, uh, "Why go in the studio? Make your own. Showcase the journey." Yes. Well, that's what I'm going to record. So basically what I want to do is work out all the, I'm a fond believer that if you go in the studio, you're prepared. I've actually done studio stuff before as a bass player. I've never done anything studio guitar ever. I've never recorded a single anything as a guitar player. Everything I've recorded ever has been a, well, as a bass player. So, um, when I go in the studio, I'll be, uh, using drum programs and some live drummers and stuff, but I won't be in control of anything other than the guitar playing and the bass playing in it. So any of the drum work or anything else, uh, I'll be, you know, having somebody else take care of that for me. And that's why, because the reality is this, um, you know, you know, the saying the weakest link in the chain, I'm the weakest link when it comes to the things that I'm not familiar with, which is not guitar, not bass. So everything, not guitar, not bass, I'd like to do differently. Um, trust me, I started recording and I even thought like, why don't I just leave it the way it is and call it a day, but I kind of want to do the rest of it. And I want to kind of film a little bit of it and have some fun with it. Uh, I would say right now, it's never going to make it on this channel, but I'll put it on the film ignite channel too. Um, cause that's the stuff I have started. Uh, the, the, this journey also starts with, in January, Phil McKnight Channel 2 will start be posting very, very um, unedited, just basic footage stuff of just, you know, for those of you curious what's going on, day-to-day things. Um, so there you go. That's what's going on with that. Thanks for the question. Uh, Crispy says, Crispy Texas, where do you purchase the license? The license you mean to use other people, to use music? You can go, there's tons of places. I don't know which one I use, but I use, there's all kinds of, uh, music. I'm going to call it a music farm. I don't know what the correct term is, but essentially that's what I think about it is a place full of artist music. So, uh, and I know it's just, uh, artists doing, so like you guys, anybody who's a musician, you can record music, go to these, uh, like I said, I don't know what to call it. Just, just Google license, you know, uh, music you can purchase license to. And essentially you purchase the use of that music. It's very inexpensive. I mean, these artists are probably not getting very much. You're paying sometimes a, a monthly fee, sometimes a one-time fee, but it's always very inexpensive. Inexpensive in the idea of it's only dollars, <laughs> sometimes tens of dollars. I mean, it's not a whole lot, but I mean, you know, keep in mind, um, 
one of the things is like there's a company who makes thumbnails and they've reached out to me a couple of times and I, I really like the idea because I hate making thumbnails and I know thumbnails would really improve the channel, but it's really tough because the rates they give me sometimes are 70, 80% of what a video makes. <laughs> so they're like, we'll improve the video. I'm like, well, you'd have to improve it 70% better because otherwise I'm in the hole. Um, so yeah, there you go. Uh, Unfreaking Believable says the album name should be Life is a Dump Truck. Yeah, I will tell you this. Um, the uh, naming of the songs, <laughs> I have, everybody has different philosophy of that. I'm going fun. You know what I mean? I'm just naming the songs stuff I think that's interesting and fun to me that uh, makes sense because uh, um, <laughs> I just, you know, I don't care. It's instrumental stuff. <laughs> like I said, I just need, like I said, I'm just trying to protect myself and my channel. And of course, I think it just, again, encompasses you know if it's your music on the channel that's kind of cool too right at least it's cool for me so i can be like more more in control of what i'm doing um let's see hold on a second i'm just looking at a couple couple comments um ben coombe says uh on my own weakest link on my own weakest link too yeah well that's all of us. We, we, like I said, we're all our weakest link. Okay. The next early uh, question came from, um, who'd it come from? It came from, uh, I have no idea. Roman Garcia says, I got a $1,500 Christmas bonus. Woohoo. Better than the jelly of the month club. Anyways, uh, should I buy a pink Telecaster with Rosewood fretboard? My particular favorite for Telecasters. I like Rosewood fretboards on Telecasters, which is very rare. Very rare. They don't make a lot of them and a lot of people don't like them. Uh, from Chicago Music Exchange or Bad Cat Cup 40. That's tough because those are two totally different things. So do you want an amp or guitar? I always tend to lean towards guitars. Obviously, I love my Bad Cat uh, Cup 40. Um, and so, I mean, I could recommend... Here's the good news. I, what's good is both those things are things that I would personally buy. I would, I would definitely get the Cub 40, and I would definitely get a pink Telecaster with a Rosewood fretboard. Those are both things that I would definitely uh, sport no problem. Me personally, though, unless you need a good amp, maybe go with the Telecaster. But if, you know, it's tough. Like I said, it, I don't know your needs. If, uh, if I didn't have a good amp, maybe I would, I would get the amp. But I can tell you, um, you won't regret the Bad Cat 40, since I obviously have one and I really like it. And a pink Telecaster is always cool. It's not the best advice. <laughs> all I can tell you is the good news is you have a fantastic problem. So uh, we're all jealous. Who, who isn't jealous of someone who's a little extra cash to buy something they want? That's a, that's a good problem to have during the holidays. So bless you for that. Luke says, hey, Phil, I have a Gibson Les Paul studio and I love it, but I've been gassing for a Sire L7 Les Paul. Do I need one? Um, no, uh, I don't think so. Here, here's the thing. I really like the Sire stuff. In fact, I have a Sire hollow body behind me, as you guys know, and Kyle, the owner Sire, is very nice. I showed you guys a gift that he sent to the channel and uh, I'm super impressed with the quality guitars and everybody's going to have varying opinions when it comes to guitars and quality. My personal opinion is I like them better than a lot of the like brands that are out there. I, th I think they're a cut above the Harley Bittons, even Epiphone and other mid, I call them mid price now because you can't go those stuff low price now. It's all in the mid price point guitars. I think there's just something about the features fit and finish that they do. I think they're a cut above. Do I think they are in the range if you have a Gibson Studio? No. I think if you have a Gibson Studio, you've pretty much, you're, you've arrived is all I like to say. You have it. 
I mean, it's a great guitar. The only reason I would tell anyone to pick a Sire uh, L7 over a Gibson-branded instrument is if you just have a problem with the company Gibson. Like, there's there's no reason. Like, I wouldn't sell one of my Gibsons for one of the L7s from, from, from Sire, and I like the L7s. So that's, I guess... And that's kind of how I like to approach questions here is like, what would I do in your situation? I would not sell my Gibson to get a Sire. Not because the Sire is not great. It is. It's fantastic. But, I mean, there's just no reason to get rid of your Gibson. Also, in today's day and age, you can't buy that Gibson back. Um, I mean, let's let's be clear. I don't know what the future holds. The last couple of years have been definitely crazy. But I, I'm, a, I'm a definitely firm on the ideology of these uh, iconic brand American-made guitars are just going to go crazy as as these uh, import instruments, of course, have, have gotten super great quality. That's not the issue. They're getting expensive. And there's just no world that I can see. And of course, I could be wrong, but I'm just calculated guess. There's no world where I can see where $1,500 made in Indonesia guitars exist and there's $1,500 made in USA guitars. I just don't see a world where they, they line up. Um, I know we've seen that with the J- main Japan guitars, you know, that they've reached the price point of USA guitars and got there. But the Indonesian, uh, Korean made guitars, um, made in China, whatever you want, the import instruments, and it's really not even where they're made. I'm just using it's those brands, Schecter, Sire, um, LTD, you know, what have you, um, trying to think of other brands. But y- you get the idea, those sense of those brands that are just known for like, they make the best bang for the buck guitars. That's their, that's their, that's their game. That's, you know, that's what those companies do. They're, they're like, you can gig with this. This is a real instrument. You can, you can play in the studio. It's legitimate in every way. And it's priced to where most players can obtain it. I do not see a world where those guitars and these American iconic brand, and I say iconic brands because that's what they bank on. You know what I mean? Gibson and Fender, they sell their brand first, <laughs> right? That's the first thing they're going to slap in your face. Notice how smaller brands will slap feature set into your into their marketing, right? It's all about look at the, the we're using a, a quality nut like Bone or a Corian or or GraphTech. Look at the pickups we're using. Look at the components. Look at the fit and finish. You know, notice Gibson doesn't go, nothing is fit and finished as good as a Gibson Gibson guitar. That's not their marketing strategy. Their marketing strategy is, isn't their, state, isn't their slogan, only Gibson is good enough? Like not Gibson quality, right? Notice it doesn't say only Gibson quality is good enough. And again, I'm not bagging on Gibson. I love Gibson. I have tons of them. The point, though, is they sell off the heritage. They sell off that iconic brand. And I just don't see a world where iconic brand guitars are going to live in the same price points as uh, as the brand value guitars. And the reason I say that is not because that's all that matters. What matters is that you love the guitar. But I would caution anyone selling those iconic brands now. I would really make sure that you don't want them anymore because i got a feeling you're not going to be able to get them back Um it just seems like that's where this is going, um, especially as those iconic brands are making really good. Like like I said, use Gibson a good example. Gibson Epiphone is killing it. Epiphone guitars are great, fantastic guitars, and as they make great Epiphone guitars, uh, and they rise those prices up because we're getting towards the thousand dollar mark with Epiphone, which are fantastic playing and sounding instruments. You know what I mean? They're not gonna. They're not going to come down is basically on the Gibson side. They're going to sell that angle. That's just my guess. Just a guess. But 
So that's my reasoning for it. Other than that, I like the L7. Obviously, I like Sire guitars. And uh, I think they're, they're one of those brands you can see it consistently with people who are getting them is this toting this. I think they have, I think Sire right now is like the Schecter of 2001 or 2000s, right? Remember when Schecter hit the market and everybody was like, wow, this is a lot for the money. I think Sire's the first brand to come and go, hey, look at this. We're, we're really nailing it when it comes to quality and, and feature set. So Solar says, Solar Warden says, their investments now more than their playability. Yeah, sadly enough, they are. And again, I hate to talk like that because at the end of the day, like if we were collectors, which like toy collectors and stuff, like leaving in, you know, I don't leave stuff in packaging is basically what I'm saying. So like I have Gibson, like I have a Gibson R9. I play it. It's already got a ding in it. Like I play it. I don't have anything like, case classic guitars the closest thing i have is maybe my gem but even it's out and i play it so um i try not to be like that kind of collector but it's not about collecting in value and you know you should invest the money in this guitar and later we'll have a dividend in my experience it's, it's kind of that logic but i want you to see it from my perspective i've experienced what it's like to have something like it decide maybe i don't need it and then later find out it's unobtainable to get again <laughs> So what I'm basically getting is be firm with your decision that, you know, goodbye, Gibson guitar, because it's going to hurt when, you know, in a possible couple of years, when a Gibson studio is too grand, you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, I'm not buying that back. So. All right. <laughs> Strategic pause. Uh, Chris says, uh, Epiphones are a thousand dollars in Canada. Yeah. Well, Canada, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I try, I try to be inclusive with all the other countries around the world in the talk, but it's a little tough because the economics of the cost of guitars is so dramatically different between Australia, Europe, Canada, the U S it's crazy. <laughs> so, but yes. Um, Okay, so the next question was Pop Custom. This is still early uh, risers, I'm going to call them. Is, uh, these are people who came and parked a question before the show started. I appreciate that. I really appreciate you guys supporting the channel that way. Uh, anyways, Pop Custom, Pops Custom, with a K, by the way, like the brand, says, Phil, are the margins better with import guitars than USA guitars? So, you know, I, I can't tell you for sure. Every brand's going to have a different, you know, different... Expense, expenses, different situations. But as a whole, I'm going to say yes. There's a couple things that you don't even have to know for sure to really kind of be able to ascertain that logic. First of all, business as a whole, all business leans towards money. Um, I like this, it's just how I like to think of things. If you put a plant <laughs> in the ground, uh, it will point towards the sun. It's just how it works, right? And if you put two plants next to it, it will find a way to point towards the sun, right? You ever seen palm trees? pointing out towards the sun, right out towards the, the west. Uh, so a plant will point towards the sun and a business will point towards money. That's just how that works, right? If they're if they're smart business, um, they will figure out where uh, the profit is, where the customers are. And of course, where where there's uh, the biggest bank for their, for their dollar, right? How they get a uh, good ROI, get a return on investment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and what I see consistently is um, I actually I actually was uh, this is a great story to tell. I was sitting in uh, not the office. It was like a I don't know, like a studio room at GNL Guitars. This is a couple years ago with the owner of GNL and the guy who runs GNL. And we were talking about their tribute series guitars. And um, 
And one of the things I mentioned to them is how well they've done with the tribute series. And they said, yeah. And then they basically told me, so, you know, they told me um, that they make more money from tribute, that they really don't even make a whole lot from the U.S. side of making guitars and that they could shut down U.S. So G&L told me point blank. We don't have to guess. They could shut down USA G&L right now and still run as a company. Now, they also have BBE sound, but I don't think that's what they meant. I think they mean literally they can run off just the import line. Now, right now, a couple of you, and I'm, before you, I want to head you off, a couple are going to go, yeah, but they need the USA ones to get the excitement and the blah, 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 and that's how they're selling the imports, and once they don't do that, they don't do that. And this is what I told them. In my experience, it is very rare for an American company or a European company or a Japanese company that makes guitars when they add in the... A sub-brand import line, um, which is usually from Asia, so to say an Asian line, it's very rare that they have a USA line for very long or whatever the main line is, like I said, so it's Japan or Europe. So I'm going to stick with USA companies because it's just going to be easier to, to talk about. So basically what I did was I said, look, I can cite you company after company, Washburn Guitars, BC Rich Guitars, and, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second, uh, Hamer Guitars. Um, I, can, I can name company after company after company that are USA high-end or mid-range mid, uh, guitars that added in the import lines and then slowly became only the import lines. Now, BC Rich right now, you'll say, oh, well, they still do USA. Well, that's Ghost Built. There is no BC Rich shop. They're not making those. They have somebody else make those. They're great guitars, um, and that and and that's fantastic. Same with Washburn. They still make the Nuno and the Michael Sweet guitars, but again, those are ghost built. I think they might even be the same builders, you know, but ghost building both those uh, lines of guitars. And uh, so, I mean, they've moved solely to that lineup. So very rare when you see like Fender, Squire, Gibson, Epiphone, PRS, and PRS subline. Um, that you see the main line continue to succeed. You see them slowly move over that way. Now, my theory has been for many years is it's because businesses like plants lean towards the sun, lean towards the money. After a time, that money from those import guitars, I mean, just, you know, look at the cost, especially this. I When I did the 50 States video, 50 guitars in 50 States video, um, I said in that video that, when I got to California, I couldn't even, I'd have to do a whole video just on California. There are so many companies in California. It's literally, in my opinion, the worst state that you could have a manufacturer in. The only thing logistically good there is that, you know, they're they're next to the import, you know, so you can get your stuff in, uh, in port. But crazy, the taxes they have to pay, the cost, the laws, the restrictions, um, they're tough in California. So to see companies in California, especially in our industry, you can see that there, there's a lot of expense there. So of course, not only going to just Kentucky would be a better deal for them, of course, going to Asia and import brands is a lot easier, especially when um, a lot of companies, believe it or not, their deal, not all, so don't, don't blanket statement this. I'm just going to say a lot of companies, though. Maybe, let's say, 45% of the companies out there, their deal with their uh, import manufacturing is no different than to deal with my uh, t-shirts that you buy on my channel or uh, sound if you're a sound hole sniffer <laughs> for, <laughs> uh, from Aaron Schwartz music. But um, the deal with the shirts is uh, you guys click a link and buy a shirt and somebody fulfills that order and takes care of everything. They take care of your credit card. They, they take care of 100% of the business and then they send me a royalty check for saying, hey, um, and... Uh, 
And that's exactly how some of these manufacturers work. They work as just a royalty deal at this point. You have another manufacturer making the instruments, doing everything. And then sometimes, in some cases, uh, that company that makes those guitars is also the marketing arm and the distribution arm for those. So you you understand, like, some sub-brands, they don't even touch the main brand and the idea that they don't cross that way. So like PRS is an example of someone who actually the guitars show up at their facility and they actually go through them and they sell them and distribute them to the dealers. But some don't, some have a sub brand uh, or some, a, a subcontractor. I'm sorry, subcontractor that's handling it all, uh, handling it all. So uh, here's what, you know, <laughs> it's easy to go to the mailbox and get a check. There's no expenses. At the end of the month, your expenses are zero and you just go get your royalty check. You could argue that, yeah, you could make more if you did all that yourself, but the cost to do that, it's a little, it's a, little, it's a big dramatic difference, big dramatic difference. I don't know why I'm stumbling on that one. Um, so that's why I think, yes, absolutely. I think in most cases, the imports. Now, when I said there's exceptions, there is companies that, uh, I think try to cash in on the import deal and it flopped on them. And that's because they, you know, that you have to build a brand. Uh, one, I don't know for sure, but example always comes to mind, Zon Basis. I love Zon Basis. He did an import line. It does okay. I don't really see that as a huge success for them because I think part of the thing, if you want to do the import line of your brand, I think the main thing you have to figure out is you have to have a brand that's well-known, obviously not just good. So Zon is good. <laughs> so being good is is a, is a, is a, a box you have to check, but definitely have to be known so that people understand you know what I mean, what they're getting. Um, Ken Smith, another example, the Ken Smith bases, when they did a subline of bases, it was a little tricky trying to sell those because most most uh, entry-level and mid-level players didn't know what a Ken Smith was because it was such an expensive instrument, and the players that played the expensive instruments knew that that wasn't a real Ken, Ken Smith. So, to answer your question, yeah, I think they make a lot more. <laughs> When they do it right. Um, hold on. Now, if you don't mind, I want to poke through what you guys are talking about to see. Um, to see if they're... Yeah, somebody, Guitar1950 said, Reverend does also. He's referring to, are they referring to the fact, just like PRS, they get the instruments, they go through them. So does Schechter. A lot of companies are involved in that. Um, and Reverend is exactly the example, so you know, of what I was saying. Reverend is now just an import-only company. Again, this isn't a negative. I'm just explaining. Reverend, it was some point a USA company made guitars in USA. Schechter's a good example, too. They have a custom shop. They make USA-made guitars. But obviously, the bread and butter is uh, the, the import instruments. So, like I said, it's very rare when you see a company where that does import and their main USA instruments and the USA side is the side that's really paying the bills for the most part. It, the most of them will agree that, that without the import side, they would be lost. PRS, I think, is a perfect example as well, too. Uh, the PRS import side is a huge part of their business model and income. So like I said, once you, once you go that, once they chose, choose that, they're there. Jose Soto. Jose, by the way, I got your letter and uh, man, I really appreciate it. it was uh, Jose sent me a very uh, nice letter. I was almost going to read it. I'm glad I didn't. It was really personal, heartfelt, um, and I really appreciate it, uh, Jose. And and that stuff, when I read letters like that, uh, just to guys, give you guys so you don't live like, you know, you're not lost for the next minute or so. Um, he just sent me a, a letter just expressing how, you know, how the show, what it's meant for him for the last couple of years. And 
Um, I think this is one of those things like talking guitars every Friday isn't a big deal, but I think the community and you guys and just having this hang out every Friday and then people getting to rewatch it and see what we were all talking about and reading the comments and stuff. I think it's just been a, a fun experience for me and everybody else too. And, and thank you, Jose, for the letter. It was really kind of you. Um, and his question is though, uh, Hey Phil, will Kiesel be offering a gold Fender Strat, uh, version, uh, for lefty. So he's talking about the, uh, the copper Strat, the, the copper Strat. Um, as far as I know, they do the Delos and left-handed model. I could be incorrect. I thought that's what I understood. And, uh, so yeah, the, um, uh, the video will be soon. I just released some of the information on my patrons about the new uh, copper Delos that we showed on the live show a couple weeks ago. And uh, and like I said before, the important part, to, uh, like I explained already, is it's not a signature model. And that's really important. One, because, you know, I don't want a signature model. But two, um, the importance of this is it, if, if it was a signature model in any way, it would be limited. In other words, you couldn't change it. That's how that works, right? It's whatever the specs are. So what it is in my situation is I had them do a custom color, and now that co color is available to you guys. So you guys know that color is now a called uh, Copper Penny Metallic. So if any of you want to love that color and, you know, I mean, obviously wait for the video. What's great now is you can call in and just get that color. I mean, you have to pay for it. Like it's an add-on option. It doesn't go to me though. <laughs> I'm just saying it's an add-on option. Um, but now it's just available that way. And um, and then of course the other features and stuff too. But yeah, you can do lefty. You can do whatever you want. The Delos is, I think they do everything. I think they do pretty much every guitar lefty. I thought I could be incorrect because obviously I've never really paid a whole lot of attention as I'm not a left-handed player. So uh, if, so, if I'm wrong, somebody somebody correct that comments for Jose so he knows. Yeah, John says uh, Delos should have a lefty option. That is my understanding as well. Uh, do I say it? Kowal? Kowal Guitar Life? K-O-W-A-L. Kowal? I don't know. Kowal Guitar Life says answer. It's an honor. It's an honor to be here every week. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you for being a member, too. I see you. You got the Funko Pop. That's the Funko Pop badge means you're a member, and I'm working on those, what that's all going to mean soon. <laughs> well, I can tell you what it means now. When you leave comments in videos, I, I spend a, a day or two a week now where I usually not, I used to not read the comments. I, 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 read, I read comments sporadically. I see some here and there. Um, it's not cause they're negative or positive. It's just, you know, it's just, uh, obviously it's just time in your head. You can't spend every moment in YouTube. I already spend way too much in YouTube now. And, uh, what's great now that membership thing, not that it's, I don't know if it's a big value to you guys, but for, to me, it's been great. Like I said, um, when you guys put comments in videos, I don't care what video I can go to members and I can see all your comments and I go and respond to those. Um, and, uh, you know, and I want to say this again, I, I, I don't know why, well, I don't know if anyone at YouTube would ever see this, uh, why it would help, but I, I'd like to say, I wish YouTube would adopt some kind of loyalty strategy instead of an income strategy. I understand the value of income. Look, everybody needs to make a dime. That's for sure. But I feel like YouTube just won't let up. The only way I can really interact with you is somehow through finance. Same with the super chats. Like everything is set up in a way that if you really want to get somebody's attention on YouTube, like, like mine, where you just have a viewership that gets pretty large. The only way to do that is monetarily. In other words, you got to pay somehow to get a hold of me. And I hate to say this, but you know, as much as I think it's dumb to say this out loud, because money is good. 
I wish I could be like, I wish they would just mark you guys as this person has been watching you since 2015. And I'm like, damn, that's, that's great. You know what I mean? Like uh, when I, when I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, they had 98 KUPD and you had red cards. I'm, I don't care where you live. They probably had some version of this. And, and it used to be a status symbol of how old your red card was, a red card was right. Which version you had. And you know what I mean? And I love that idea. I wish YouTube could adopt a, something that says, being a, a subscriber is up to one more right there. Commenting on videos, like you would get scored for that. You know what I mean? If you help these channels by you know interacting with the channels, it would be great if the channels could know that. And if that exists and I don't know about it, please somebody just email me and tell me. But I've talked to people on YouTube and you know, our YouTube the company a little bit, and it uh it doesn't really seem like there's any features like that. Like I said, it definitely, I would love to know how long somebody's been a subscriber. I think that has huge, huge value. Um, and and, and by the way, it doesn't mean if you were only a subscriber five minutes, it doesn't have value. It has value, but I would like somebody two years and still hanging around and still interacting. That's great. Um, yeah, Kevin said that would be win-win. I agree because here's why. I think if I could champion that, and this is just, again, my business logic versus their business is why they're billion dollar successful company and I'm me. <laughs> My logic is if you if you champion the people who champion you back, that will that will lead to economic benefit, right? The channel will do well and cuz you guys will feel like I'm 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 more connected to you. I don't know. That uh I just feel like I don't know. I wish there was a way to do that. And and so you know, Patreon also has the same kind of issues, but it's a little better, a little in some ways. So Uh, Rory says, Phil McKnight, you gave up your website so you don't have a client list. Never should rely on YouTube. I don't need a client list. I understand your logic. Um, the website logic was, there's really no, look, I, I can tell you, so, so you guys know, I don't want to upset anyone. If my YouTube channel crashed tomorrow, I probably just wouldn't cut back. <laughs> I wouldn't. I mean, I'd probably still probably put out some videos and stuff. Like there wouldn't be, um, when I started, I've told you guys before, when I really was pushing on Facebook and Instagram, a lot of that was this like, oh, what happens if your YouTube channel, you know, dies or something happens? And, uh, and really at this point, um, I like doing this, but you know what I mean? I don't know if I have the energy to rebuild. So same thing. If it oh, crashed, if I had a, a list or something on a website, I don't know if I'd go out and go, hey, let's build it back. I think I would go, all right, time to focus on my other stuff I have to get done. So that's kind of my logic there. But there you go. Uh, and we don't do a whole lot of mailing lists. I used to do them way back then. Again, same thing. What I realized is I think you guys see me enough. <laughs> you, I don't think you need an email from me. <laughs> All right. Uh, Guitar1952 says, I've been around since you started. That's awesome. I appreciate that. I love hearing that stuff. Somebody posted on my Instagram today. Somebody says, I've been around since a thousand subs. I'm like, man, I love hearing that stuff. That's to me the win, man. That's huge. Like, you know, because you churn a lot on YouTube, obviously. You know, there's always new viewers and viewers go away and some viewers come back, but it would be nice, uh, to, you know, to know who, who's really been hanging around the most. I can tell you this. I, I know some of you guys have sign on names now, <laughs> like your family. 
<laughs> so it's kind of funny. Um, all right, guitar Brad Miller. Hey, what's up, Brad? He said, hey, Phil, um, you got any tips for expanding a small business? Reverb and eBay just aren't getting enough traffic. Uh, expand the line to additional accessories, but still slow. Thanks. Sure, I, I could give you some tips, that, that for sure. Um, first of all, I would tell you that the you the one thing I would focus on, and this is great because I don't want to just talk to him. There's a lot of you out there that are starting some endeavor, whether it's a YouTube channel or whether it's a small business, maybe a repair shop, maybe you have a small repair shop, maybe you have a small a guitar shop. Uh, I would you got to understand you have to you have to understand that there's two sections of your business you really want to focus on. So, for instance, in Brad Guitars Miller, he's talking about Reverb and eBay. To me, those are selling platforms. No different than if you had a Shopitron cart on your website. To me, that's just the vehicle in which people can click and buy. That is so. For instance, if you opened a physical brick and mortar store. All that would be is the place that people can walk in the door and then make the purchases. So the good part, Brad, is you have that. You have the you have the eBay and, and uh, Reverb. That's what they have created, a virtual way for you to have a store, right? That's all that is. Uh, they're virtually a mall, and they you've put a little shop in there. But just like walking in a mall or walking in a shopping center or being in your town or any other place, just because you have this business and, of course, this cart in which people can buy, that doesn't mean anything. The second part of your business is going to be the advertising. Now you have to advertise to your customer base or to customers to get a customer base to come to your store. You want to think of that uh, the same way. This is a real big thing right now. And this is, this is, this is one of those things like I'm sharing with you guys. Some of you guys might not find this interesting, but I will tell you this. Uh, um, I, I, I make 200 bucks an hour talking to companies about this. I did it three times this week. Um, I do a lot of this stuff and sometimes I try not to make that part of this, but I'm going to make some of that right now. Um, one of the problems people have is they don't understand this virtual world that exists and you just have to think of it like a physical world. Um, a website is a store. It is a physical property. Uh, it, it has all the same rules <laughs> that a physical property has, uh, which means, you know, you're responsible when people are on it. You need to make sure it's uh, clean, right? In other words, clean meaning uh, easy to get through. It looks presentable, right? It, it has to be, has to do, it's what it's intended to do, whether it's a website, whether it's your reverb auction or not. Now, that being said, that's again, the one element. The second thing is just like a physical building or a physical place, you have to do advertising. It's just part of that. The good news is, is that there's tons of platforms for advertising. So Brad, what I would suggest to you is like, for instance, you sent me some stuff. We talked about it. I talked about it on the show. You got a little bit out there. Of course, everybody kind of goes, uh, you know, do you have to do, you know, send it to YouTubers? You don't have to. One thing I just remind people is I don't think you guys, and I still don't believe this, um, really as a whole, as a community watching this show every week, really still grasp a lot of things I'm talking about. Uh, a couple months ago, I was talking about Sweetwater and, um, I could tell you that, um, I can't tell you, unfortunately, who, but I could tell you somebody at Sweetwater was paying attention and, and we had a talk and the talk was basically like, wow, you got it way better than everybody else got it, um, which is um, about you know customer acquisition costs. In other words, acquiring customers. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, the cost to acquire a customer is almost nothing. So the problem is, is that for nothing, for free, you can't acquire a lot of customers. So let me keep it really easy. It costs absolutely nothing, Brad, to advertise on your Facebook, 
on your Instagram. In other words, put something on your Instagram and Facebook. I constantly hear people all the time going, yeah, I put it on there and three people saw it. You mean three free people saw it? You mean three people who you didn't pay somebody to acquire saw it? Then in the business world, we would call that really good return on investment. <laughs> you paid zero dollars and three people know about your business now? Sounds fantastic. So first, advertise on your platforms, but do it continually over and over again, because although you do worry that, you know, this, these people see the saturation point, oh, it's 200, uh, 200, you know, 200 people, it's not a lot, but, um, <laughs> sorry, Wanna Beetle's making me laugh. I gotta take a second. All right, Wanna Beetle, you're funny. <laughs> I don't know if I love the prostitute on the Santa Monica Boulevard thing, but um, yes, uh, you gotta understand this is this this new world has been a lot very complicated for a lot of companies to understand. Um, I've told you guys this a thousand times. In 2017, I went to the NAMM show. I said I was going to either do more YouTube or quit YouTube is basically the best way to put it. And I came back and I came back. And the reason I came back and said, I'm going to do YouTube. And I've explained this a couple of times is because in 2017, what I saw at NAMM show was no one really as a whole understood the platform yet. They thought it was where people made videos. They thought the Anderton guys were goofing off. They thought, you know, the Tone King was just pointing at things and this is a guitar and this is my, they didn't understand what this was, was millions of guitar players being acquired for $0, which is a very, very powerful marketing tool. So it was interesting to me that they didn't see that. So I was curious what else they didn't see, which is why I told you, I focus on my channel being more entertainment based than marketing based. But back to the importance of Brad's uh, question. First, advertise on your platforms. Then try to get someone slightly with more reach than you to do it, but constantly do it. You have to understand that people get really discouraged very quickly on these platforms because they see something like, blah, 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 got 5 million views. So-and-so and so-and-so -and -so got 2,000 likes. That means nothing. That means nothing. Every view and like and uh, that you have when you have a business that you didn't pay for is profit. It's profit. Um, you will win. So you advertise. That's what you do. There are tons of people on Reverb. That's why they do Reverb bumps. I don't know if Reverb bumps work. I don't use them. I don't need them. Because <laughs> usually when I post something on my Reverb page, um, you guys buy it up in an hour. Why? Because like today, there's 969 guitar players watching. And if I post something, odds are a couple hundred of you are going to check it out. And then it it sales. That's because I'm on a constant platform talking to you guys. So Brad, you have to think like that. But really what I find the big thing, the big thing that everybody seems to miss is don't focus on how big your number is. Just realize that your number, if you're doing things right, is is good because it doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> it's free. And then once you've exhausted that, in other words, when you feel like all 50 or 100 people you think can know about your product, know about your product, and you can't get any more, well, then maybe it's time to reach out to other Instagrammers, Facebookers, YouTubers, and slowly go that, you know, get that way. Um, and and one thing that I constantly see is a, is a failure point constantly is this, this huge desire to pay a YouTuber with a million views a couple grand or whatever it costs to get them to talk about a product or a service or a feature of yours, 
you have to understand if you have a good product and you really believe in what you're doing, you can organically grow by finding small channels that need support too. They'd like to talk about things. You know, when I started my channel, I talked about just like every channel. You first, you start talking about the gear you have, right? Then you buy some more gear. It just grows and grows that way. And so Brad, you can reach out and get them and then, and then let them, you know, um, and in Reverb, uh, if you're on Reverb and eBay, by the way, they have both have affiliates, okay, Brad? Which means they pay 1%. It's not a big dividend, okay? So if you're selling a $10 item, <laughs> they're going to get like 10 cents. Uh, but uh, they get 10 cents. So uh, if they sign up, if they're signed up to be affiliate, you don't have to pay them. You can say, hey, uh, if you talk about my product, by the way, uh, you know, make sure you use your affiliate link. Now, what's great is um, they'll get a little something and uh, it, it, puts them, it puts traffic in your, in your way. Hold on. He's saying, thanks to watch uh, for a new YouTube channel and Instagram. Exactly. Like I said, I tell everybody, if you have a business, uh, look, I look at who, look at Josh Scott from, from JHS pedals. Exactly that. Look, Josh Scott to me. And again, I don't, I don't know him, but if, but my observation is, uh, that guy's smart. And what he did is he watched what the platform was doing and he learned it. And then he in, adapted to it. I've talked about this many times on the channel. Larry DiMarzio, who's a friend of mine, uh, he's a photographer. He he's he just did the new Steve I album. He did the he he took the actual the album you're going to see on the new Steve I album in January. Larry did that, and he's done many uh, Guitar World covers. And the reason why he's a photographer is because he needed pictures of his products for his websites and his catalogs. And the prices he was being quoted are insane. So he went to community, like a community college class and he took a photography class and he learned photography. If you're going to be in business, especially nowadays, even then, it's the same then, you need to learn skill sets. And I, Brad, I'm going to leave you with this last thought because this is probably ho hopefully makes a lot of sense. I do not enjoy making YouTube content. I do not enjoy cameras or lighting or editing or anything that has to do with YouTube. I enjoy guitars, talking about guitars, playing guitars, showing guitars, and then I use YouTube as my, as my platform to do that. So I don't have a love of YouTube, I have a love of guitar. So w trust me, when you go, well, yeah, but I'm not very good at it and I don't like it. I'm not very good at it and I don't like it either. I learned it because this is exactly the platform that was going to help me do exactly what I want to do, which is talk about guitars. <laughs> So that's my long speech. Um, yeah, I'm not old. I'm vintage. Uh, says Josh Scott is a marketing genius. Uh, he trolls himself and makes a profit off it. Exactly. Look, and that's why you, that's what's interesting about people like that. You, you really want to learn this stuff. And like I said, I, I, I've, I've, I've made a good side uh, uh, business uh, teaching people this stuff too, as well. <laughs> Brad says editing is not fun. Editing is horrible. I know. Uh, my year in review video was eight hours of editing. <laughs> I have no idea. And But by the way, when I complain about editing, I'd like to point out it's because I'm so crappy at it. You know, uh, it's uh, I have to work hard to be a C student. How about that? Um, okay, I'm sorry. I'm just reading a couple com comments to see if anything is resonating or any questions.
Yeah, it, uh, my knees hurt. It's talking about Rick Beato. He said they did the same thing. He figured out what his role was and to get viewers. I think most of his followers are not musicians. I would see. I could see that. Um, I, you're gonna you're gonna see that. I always laugh when people who watch like a Sharp Max video tell me flat out they're like, I don't even play guitar. I just like to watch you work on it. <laughs> I was like, really? And then I'm like, and I thought that was weird. And then I thought, you know how many videos I watch now? Of like, I watch like aircraft. I watch like building model airplanes sometimes. And I'm like, I've never done that. And I just like watching them do something. I think we just like watching things that we always want to do. So, but, uh, anyways, Brad, great question. I, I like questions like that, by the way, anytime you guys want to talk about that stuff, I'll lean in that stuff pretty hard. Uh, I know it's not as guitar talky, but um, I really know there's a lot of you guys out there uh, hustling. I've been do, I've been self-employed now for I'm going to be coming on 17 years, and uh, and uh, it's a hard thing. <laughs> I don't regret it, but man, it's it's insane uh, to beat yourself daily to uh, to make a living. Um. Hold on, I'm just looking for questions. So, I know I'm kind of quiet. I'm just reading to see. Let me see. let me try Mike's. Mike's question is, Phil, I just got a PRS 2408 yesterday. I've never had a guitar with a tremolo, always a hardtail or tunematic. It came with nines. I put the PRS locking tuners on it and 11s. Yep. And have trouble with the setup. Of course, you're going to have to tighten those springs. That's going to be the, the main thing about bridges. You have to understand is it's all the magic is all about making sure the adjustment to the springs and the tension and the strings are equalized. Um, and of course, going from nines to 11s, you're probably going to have to adjust the truss rod as well. But um, just remember the train theory, right? So it's, you know what I mean? Just like what we learned is uh is basically go in order. <laughs> so, right. um, so basically you're going to tune the guitar, then you set the relief, then you set the action, then you look at the intonation, and then the nut. Or you can noodle. depends on how you look at that. Um, but uh, that, that's what you're going to have to do. You're definitely going to have to do some adjustments. It's not the end of the world. But um, first thing I would do is definitely tighten down those uh, springs, uh, those two screws that, to those springs. In fact, on that guitar should already be three springs. So I normally I'd say like add some springs, but three should be enough. But so you know, with 11s, you might need five springs on that guitar. So you might, ha you might have to add two springs. Just as a suggestion. Steve Gray says, "Will PV ever make a comeback?" I, I think I'm. I think I. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I. I want to point out. I always say this. That's my awkward laugh. That's like my. I just feel guilty about what I said. I hate it, man. I don't want to be a negative person. I told you. I. I'm a. I'm a happy-go-lucky person, but I'm a secretly. I'm a pessimist. I'm always been a pessimist first. My first instinct is always negative, um, which is why I always say. Uh, I always say my second thought. My first thought is always negative. So I say my second thought. <laughs> so so with PV, yeah, I think it's over. I don't I think we're gonna see, look, when this dust settles from this uh whatever this is, uh this 
uh, two years of craziness, uh, I think we're going to be losing a few companies. And I wouldn't be surprised if PV is one of those. Um, you know, it's not a good look. They, they've just optically have done nothing right. Um, I, I, I think of it this way. I would never make a video, but you know, if there was a video called companies that probably won't make it, I would say they'd make the list for sure. Um, and then when I say I'd never make that video, it's cause I'd rather make a positive one. I've made a, you know, and I'd like to be wrong when it comes to that stuff. Kevin says he just watched the undercover boss. Yeah. Well, that's the problem now. See, here's the problem. The problem is, is the internet and, and YouTube videos, I like to call them, are the gifts that just keep on giving. <laughs> so think about this. That was years and years ago. That was like 2014, I think, when they did that. Think about that. I think that's close to right. They might be 2015. I mean, it was a while ago that that happened. Um, and it was horrible to watch. Don't get me wrong. Horrible. It, you're right. Everybody who haven't seen the, that is undercover boss thing was a train wreck of epic proportions to the point where you question everyone's sanity that was involved. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and the fact is now that video still comes in people's feeds and they get to still watch it. I know I did a reaction video to it and that video still, I'll get comments every couple of weeks and I go, Oh yeah, great. Um, and, uh, you know, so think of this and they've done absolutely nothing in my, in what I've sent seen, they've done nothing to rectify that image. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So there you go. I, it's, it, it boggles my mind. Uh, when, when I know I'm getting off subject, but I like to, uh, I'll just tell you this. When, when that, um, remember the guy who got pulled off the airline? Everybody's going to remember this. I don't remember any of the details, but I remember the story. Remember the guy who got pulled off the airline because, like, they oversold the airline and they told him he had to get up and he wouldn't get up. So, like, they pulled him out of the seat. They had security, like, pull him out of the seat and he busted out his front teeth and they dragged him off the plane. And then they lost a couple hundred million dollars in stock. Now, of course, later they made it back because, you know, hey, they're big, an airliner. Everybody needs to fly somewhere. And so it's not going to not gonna really affect them. But it was a huge thing. And my statement then is my statement now. They wouldn't have pulled Oprah Winfrey off that plane. If Oprah was sitting in a chair and they were like, oh, we oversold it. You got to get off the plane. They would never have done that to her. Not because she's famous, not because she's Oprah, but because they know that the next day she could tell the world what they did to her. And I use this analogy. I love it. Every movie from the 70s and 80s, everyone, not everyone, but every action movie is always about a, you, somebody trying to get a thing to a thing. So, for instance, it's James Bond. He's trying to take a picture of a thing and then smuggle it out of the country and get this piece of thing to somebody else. Or it's a movie about how somebody got footage of aliens and they just got to get it to the news. Everybody's trying to get to the news, right? I got to get this footage of this cop killing this bad person or this aliens abducting somebody and get this if we could just get this to the news just like james bond if i could just get the microfiche to the to the government then they'll know and now we just film on our phone and launch it straight out <laughs> those movies don't even make any sense if you if you saw an alien abduction on you, you filmed an alien abduction you just put it on youtube so the reason i say that is is everyone's video is a potential viral video which means everyone can be oprah for a second and most likely it's going to be at the worst freaking time, <laughs> right? So in other words, they, gra they grab that guy, they bust his teeth out, that video goes viral, they have to live with that. The same thing. So I tell companies all the time, you know, I think everybody should pretend, not pretend, I think everybody should go with the logic of 
you might want to pay attention and do the right thing as much as possible because I think at some point they're going to catch you doing the wrong thing. That'd be my guess. <laughs> so, hold on. Yeah, Fox now says, wait till the press hears about this. Remember, right, it's exactly, it's funny, right? Like I said, it's everyone's got a camera and they're filming everything. And uh, and it's crazy. So like I said, uh, you'd think PB would be in, you know, be aware of that and try to try to make it better. But who knows? I don't know. Like I said, there's a couple companies and PB's one of them. Where I feel like we kind of hit them a little hard, but not that they don't deserve it. I just kind of, like I said, sometimes maybe there's other more positive things we could talk about on a Friday to get our weekend going. So speaking of that, let's do that. Let's talk about some good stuff. So um, we have a question from Greg and Greg says, hey, Phil, don't worry about my... Uh, I don't, he's saying he doesn't, <laughs> I don't worry about my electrics, but I have some high-end acoustics and I wonder if humidity concerns are real. Have you seen damage caused by, uh, too, too, too moist, in other words, too much humidity or too dry? Also any KYG hats coming? Uh, yes, hey, KYG, uh, KYG hats will be in January. Again, you know, we're just trying to button up all the stuff we're doing and, uh, do a fresh launch in, in January. Uh, so yes, the hats are for sure for January. Um, but that uh, being said, yes, I've seen damage to acoustics, mostly from drying out. I mean, acoustics are mostly at risk of being dried out. You have to live in a pretty bad environment. Some of you guys live in, 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 in the East coast where it's really damp or places like in Europe where it's really damp and maybe even have basements and there's a lot of humidity down there and you have to have dehumidifiers and stuff. And so that's a potential issue for your guitar, of course. Right. Um, but in most cases with guitars, it's really about drying out is really bad, but of course don't, don't. Don't forget both extremes are bad, but drying out is mostly the issue. Um, so yes, in, in my experience, of course, I've seen lots of acoustics that have been damaged from not being humidified. Um, it's tough because every guitar is a little different and the way they're made is a little different and what they're, how they're made. So for instance, like if you have a laminate top, laminate side, back and side guitar, it's not going to dry out too much because I'll, again, in between each sheet of wood is glue and it's not as like, not as delicate as maybe a solid top, but also remember solid tops, acoustic anatomy is very difficult. So there's solid tops, but then there's also different thicknesses of solid tops and there's different kinds of woods that they're using for the bracings. And there's different kinds of glues that they use, uh, which are important to how they uh, react to moisture and humidity. So I will tell you this, if you are concerned about it, the good news is I've most of my experience when somebody has something bad happen to their acoustic, when it happened and I talked to them, it was always like, oh, I was supposed to do something. <laughs> so usually if they're if you're concerned about it, you're doing the right thing. In other words, you're paying attention to it. Um, if you're really concerned, I would definitely think about just getting one of those humidity humidification packs that have like a sensor. That stuff works really well. You can do stuff. It's pretty easy. I mean, it's pretty easy. Now, I don't know how many acoustics you have. If you have a lot, I do suggest getting some kind of room humidifier. Um, but if you have one or two, maybe just you know, use a, uh, some kind of pack system. I, I do live in Arizona and it's very dry and I should have to humidify my acoustics, but I do not. And I have Taylor's and Martin's and I don't humidify them at all. <laughs> so, um, no issue, but I also make sure that I'm, I'm on top, on top of them. If I notice any issues, I start addressing it very quickly. Uh, singing Simplefield says, Hey Phil, I have, have you ever played a Don Grosh guitar? I have. Grosh makes fantastic guitars. Uh, I, I highlighted him on my 50 guitars in 50 States. Uh, I have an electrojet and I love it to death. By the way, learn so much from you, man. Thank you. Tell, 
tell all of my guitar students to watch you. I appreciate that. That's, that's awesome. That's, you know, nothing like supporting the channel by spreading the channel to somebody else. Um, and, uh, no, Grosh, of course, makes great guitars. He's one of those guitars. I, I've played a few. My, my friend, my buddy Pat had one. I worked on his, and it was really cool. I played one other one. And then every time I go to Nashville, um, I start, I stop at Carter's Vintage Guitars, and they usually have a couple Groshes. And I've almost bought a Grosh once or twice, just didn't find the one. That's all it's about for me. You know, you got to find the the one, uh, and, uh, but I love Grosh guitars. If you guys haven't checked them out, like I said, I highlighted them on the 50 States video, check him out. Um, Grosh is like, I mean, it's hard. I don't want to pigeonhole him, but he's kind of got like a little bit of the Sir vibe, a little bit of the Fano, not Fano, but like maybe the Novo thing. Not in the, not that the guitars are extreme like that, but it kind of like, he's the boutique guy, right? And he makes really good boutique um, strats and tellies, a lot of cool uh, relicking, a lot of cool attention to detail, just fantastic instruments all the way around. So usually for people who are looking for, uh, to me, it's like sometimes just, you know, sometimes a Fender doesn't do it for you. <laughs> You're looking for something a little more exotic. And uh, I think Roche would be that. So um, next, next, we're going to take next. The next one is from Paul Leonard something. Ewing says, Phil, there's a big myth, okay, about guitar sales. All right, it's got me. It's got me. Got me interested. In 2020, total sales of guitars were down a huge 20 percent. What the f? They were down 20 percent. Well, let's see. <laughs> we can actually look. I probably have stuff pinned here. Hold on a second. Um. Now here's where it gets a little tricky. First of all, the term guitar sales. So let me. Okay, I have something here. Pull this up. The term guitar sales is a little tricky because, first of all, as an industry, especially as a bunch of guitar geeks hanging out on a Friday channel, we're going to say things like guitar sales. But in the industry, for sure, that is not a term used often. Like, no one in the industry is like, guitar sales for this year were total. It's usually acoustic instruments and electric instruments. They're usually separated, um, definitely, because acoustic instruments usually are. Because if you say guitar sales, let's say if I say total sales, and I'm just making up a number. Let's say to total sales for the year were $20 million. I, I don't know the number. Just throw a number. $20 million in sales. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be most likely that a percentage 55 60% of those sales were acoustics right and then in categories it gets a little tricky because obviously in beginner guitars acoustics that's part of the reason why acoustics dominate because they have a huge you know beginners go right to acoustics most of the time so acoustic sales dominate electric sales so you could say guitar sales are up but we don't know what caused that you know you could have a decline in electric sales and an increase in acoustic sales and overall it could say it's overall up but depending on. So I don't know what number, that's my long way of saying, I don't know what number you saw or looking at. What I can tell you is very easily, you can go to any kind of site for this. Let me do this. Let me see if I can cue guys in. Let me go to the web here. Ah, oh, look at that. Okay. So what I have here is a chart and this chart is I have all kinds of stuff penned for stuff like this. This is from 2005 to 2020. This is uh, guitar retail sales in the United States. So again, it doesn't account, but I also keep in mind, and I say this with great love for our friends overseas. Hold on, let me go back here. Sorry. Uh, to uh, That uh, the U.S. is about 60% of the market for guitar sales. Um, it probably 
probably changes from year to year and stuff, but it's about 60%. So that's why a lot of manufacturers are hyper-focused on the U.S. Because U.S. is kind of just still the number one spot for buying guitars. Um, but it's there's some close seconds for sure. So back to the website. Uh, so in 2005, again, uh, these are by millions of dollars, right? In millions of U.S. dollars even. Uh, you can see 2020 looks like it was significantly up. Now, this is obviously, there can be all kinds of, uh, you know, mistakes <laughs> and stuff. But this chart has been a chart. I've been following these charts for years. So these charts have been consistent. So even if this chart was wrong, in other words, these numbers were wrong, the uh, percentages that you see right here would be right. Because I can tell you when I looked at this back in 2007, this... <laughs> right? This is what it looked like. Uh, I, as you can see, like, think about this. I had a music store from 2005 to 2017. And I would say this is exactly accurate <laughs> to what I sell. In fact, I told you guys this when I closed my store it was my record year at my store. And look at that. It was the record year in the industry. It was the highest. In fact, um, uh, I don't think, whoops, I'm sorry. Let me go back. I still don't think people to this day understood. I thought my mom was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> When I told her, my, I'm going to do YouTube. <laughs> and uh, and uh, because uh, the store was kicking butt. And um, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, why would you do that? And it was, like I said, I've told you guys this many stories before. It's because there's other things I wanted to pursue. And one of them was YouTube. Um, but back to uh, your question and your sales, let me go back, um, is that obviously it shows 2020 was up. But you would have to break this down by acoustics, by electrics, and see all that stuff. So I don't know that it was down 20%. But what I can tell you, and this is important, uh, is uh, as numbers go, there's you can get any kind of number by looking at anything at a certain way, okay? So one thing that I've been curious about and very curious about, about 2020, uh, 2020 and even 2021, is some companies can confuse you because how they talk. For instance, some companies will say, we sold more guitars than you know, we did the previous year. That's pretty, that's pretty good. They're talking in units. So they physically moved more physical guitars than the previous year. That makes sense. Some companies say we're up 30%. They might be talking about sales now. So total dollars. So again, if inflation was to kick in on that, then of course they would see, you know, Hey, this year we did 5 million more than last year. Well, inflation could make up that difference. Or if they start selling different uh, types of guitars, for instance, more high-end guitars. But one of the things that, that gets confusing is some manufacturers talk in orders, which is very confusing. So they'll say, oh, our orders, we we, we sold, but, uh, and, and when they'll use the word sold, which is why it's confusing. We sold 20% more guitars this year than we did last year, but they didn't deliver 20%. So in other words, you can take orders but not actually physically deliver the product because either you have supply chain issues, you don't have the product. And so, so the issue becomes how many of those guitar sales will be legitimate, you know what I mean? Because by the time they can fill those orders, will some of those orders drop off? Especially in a lot of in our world where they're talking about dealers. Dealers put stuff in order. You gotta understand, most dealers right now will tell you flat across the board, most dealers have ordered all of their product for 2022. They were basically forced to. The manufacturers, uh, a lot of them basically told dealers, if you don't 
put in your orders for 2022. Now you're not going to get them. And, uh, and that happened in 2020 as well for 2021. So, um, I believe like, uh, some manufacturers actually demand, uh, even the Christmas orders for 2022 now have to be fulfilled. Um, I can tell you, like I said, I just showed you the store for like 12 years. I don't even know how I would handle that if I, if I was told that right now, I, I've told a couple of my friends own stores. Like I don't even know mentally how to, how to comprehend. I got to order all this stuff. But, um, this is again, back to the equation. We don't know. We don't know from those years what stuff is fulfilled, what we're actually doing. So no one really knows. But generally speaking, what I can tell you is this, is this is what I can tell you. Uh, I have affiliate links. <laughs> You're a bunch of guitar freaks like me. And I, as you guys, if you follow my Instagram today, I posted my YouTube numbers for this year. Uh, the channel does about 14 million views per year. I've been pretty consistent about that. So 14 million views, you can imagine that's a lot of views. At least it feels like a lot of views. I don't even know if I can comprehend it. And um, and uh, nothing, I've seen nothing like before or since the affiliate dollar uh, link uh, activity that I saw last year. This year is good. It is not what it was last year. Now, some of that is because they cut a lot of it back. A lot of the manufacturers cut the affiliate dollars back, but just the volume, I don't see the volume. I mean, I'm making less, even if I made the same volume, I don't see the same volume, even though I still see the same amount of people clicking the links. So again, this is important. I'm not telling you your interactions down, your interactions actually up, your physical purchases are down. And that's been consistent month after month after month. And more importantly, this month seems a little lower than November and November seemed a little lower than uh, well, November actually spiked up a little bit. October was a little lower than September, and there was consistency there. So, so basically, what I'm saying is, I I I don't know what your numbers are, Paul, but uh, everything I believe, I really believe this uh, because. Uh, Adam Carolla once uh, made a comment. He goes, I don't need to know if my show is doing well. I just need to know if I'm being stopped at the airport because I'm being recognized. He goes, that's all I need to know. <laughs> I kind of, I know that's anecdotal, but, uh, but I kind of feel the same way. I don't need a report to tell me 2022 was crazy. Our 2020 was crazy and did well. I think it did really well this year. I don't think it's doing as well as last year for guitars. So, uh, so that, that's just my, my thought process on that. 60 cycle. Steve says 2019 is higher than 2020, but 2020 is higher than the year between 2013 and 2018. So are you talking about on that chart? Not the way I read that chart. <laughs> so, or I don't know if you're mentioning something else, but like I said, um, but like I said, I, I really, uh, I don't see where they were down last year in any way. And again, every company will be different. You, you have to understand there's, there's just, just because it consistently across the, the, uh, the, uh, industry we're doing well, there are companies that are out of business now. They didn't survive COVID already. They didn't survive this thing. So while we were having a guitar boom, there are guitar companies that went out of business. That just happens. So some companies probably are down in sales. I can tell you right now, if you got caught without inventory, you're probably super screwed. So, all right, let's go to the next thing. <laughs> Just, <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, we have, what do we have? We have some interesting stuff. Let's get to it. We have Antique Rocker says, what is my favorite non-traditional Christmas song? Mine is either Greg Lake's Father Christmas or John Lennon's Happy Christmas. Ah, uh, you gotta love John Lennon's Happy Christmas. Uh, may your family have a safe and happy holiday. You know, it's funny is, I, I, it's so weird is, I remember playing uh, John Lennon's Happy Christmas uh, 
with um, my 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 friend Stanley Thompson. He sang it, and I played it. We performed it at a at a at a uh, town hall meeting for our the corporation I worked at. And I tell you, that's a different world. <laughs> I don't think they let you do that now. I don't know. I don't work in corporate worlds, but I'm going to I'm going to say my gut says they don't let you do that now. But we played it for the entire company. They wanted to start the the town hall meeting uh for the company and they go, "Let's do a song. It's Christmas." And so I I played the guitar and he sang it and uh he was a beautiful singer. And uh it was amazing. And um yeah, so it just makes me think of that. But to answer your question, Antique Rocker, my favorite not I don't know if it's non-traditional, but I can tell you my favorite Christmas song and it's Gary Howey's The Grinch. Uh, I absolutely love that song. I love Gary Hoey Christmas songs, uh, Gary Hoey by far. Uh, for me, Christmas music is like Gary Hoey and Brian Setzer, and then repeat. <laughs> There's probably a lot of great Christmas music, but that's the two music I go to. But Gary Hoey, I listen to Gary Hoey Christmas throughout the year. So uh, absolutely. But The Grinch, love it. You got to love a Christmas song and drop D. That's the best. I, I learned to play it, and I remember the first time I played it, Somebody said, oh, is that The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson? I'm like, no, it's The Grinch by Gary Hoey. And you're like, that's awesome. <laughs> it's a Christmas song that scares kids. Anyways, uh, so uh, Antique Rocker, Gary Hoey, uh, The Grinch. I would check it out. Uh, and if you ever got a chance to see Gary Hoey live when he does the Christmas uh, show, do check that out. It's fantastic. He's an amazing guitar player. Amazing show. Uh, Vimps69 says, Hey, Phil, really like the 2021 recap. Thanks for the year and uh, the for the year and the great community relations. Have a beverage on me. I will I'll have a beer on you. That's okay. And uh, great. I'm, I love that you guys love the 2021 recap. I love doing that. It's a tradition on the channel to do the recap. And um, it's great for me because sometimes throughout the year, you know, you guys are commenting on videos and I'm like, but I, but because <laughs> you know you're co something I missed or I didn't say, and then you guys comment, and then there's no way to fix that video or talk it or add it. And then sometimes you know I bump into somebody and they'll ask me a question, and you know maybe eight months ago you know what I mean I thought a certain way, but now I think a little differently. So it's nice to to do recap. I really appreciate you guys checking out the recap every year. Um, I personally, <laughs> I personally, I really believe this. If you guys just watch the recap, you really I think you'll get more out of that than you'll ever get out of watching all the videos all year. Um, <laughs> it's it's it, it, uh, when I watch the recap because I have to make it and then I have to watch it. And when I'm watching it, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you can just watch this. <laughs> so it's really cool to nice get some stuff cinched up and, and and talk about. And you know what it is? It's also nice. Um, it really shows, uh, I think, uh, how well I have the relationships I've really made with the companies um, because some of the things I say in that video. You know, if I didn't have good relationships, I mean, probably piss them off. And some of them are happy what I said. And some of them are not so happy what I said. But all of them take it really well. And I know I'm not really being mean or 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 hurtful or even saying anything really harsh. I know a lot of you guys are like, yeah, you didn't say anything really bad. But I don't think you understand the sensitivity of people. Sometimes you don't have to say something to understand. I I, I use this. This is a perfect way to explain this. Uh, when I talk about somebody's product, sometimes you have to you have to think they're. It's like talking about somebody's baby. <laughs> Eh, baby's not that ugly. It's pretty okay. <laughs> You're like, what did he say? <laughs> That's the same thing. You understand? You might hear like, oh, I wish the the baby didn't, you know, you know what I mean? You might not hear something really bad, but to them, it's hard to take a critique of something they really truthfully love. And um, so I try to be, I try to be sincere. I find that works the best way. Um, it's whatever you say, whether it's positive or negative, if you're sincere with it, I think that's the, and, and, 
that sincerity comes through to them and then they feel like they could address it with you. Oh, you know what? Uh, must have Coca-Cola says corn doesn't mean version of Jingle Bells. Absolutely. So, you know, I also a huge uh, Nightmare for Christmas fan. Huge. And, uh, and um, hold on a second. And uh, I like the Nightmare for Christmas soundtrack, but I also like that the, they have bands that do it as well. Okay. Sorry about that. All right. Let's go back to a question over here. Next one comes from Steven who says buzzing noise on a single, single telly stops when I keep my hand on the metal parts, that's normal. He says, normal question mark. It is absolutely. You're grounding it out. You're the ground. That's your job. Uh, when shielding tape, where we'd be concerned is, uh, it, we're not talking about 60 cycle hum, where he's literally talking about a buzzing noise, grounding out. If it was buzzing without you touching it, uh, that would mean your bridge is probably disconnected from the ground and it's not grounded out. If your bridge is connected by a wire to the electronics, when your hand touches the strings of the bridge, you would uh, they would uh, complete the ground and you'd be fine. He says, would shielding tape help versus the shielding paint already in place? No, no, no. Shielding. T- uh, the only thing about trick about shielding paint is is that um, I believe if you really want it to be as effective as tape, you need to make sure that there's no gaps in it. You know, and um, and there's a great way to test shielding tape or, or shielding paint, just like same with shielding ta- uh, tape. You can take your multimeter and touch both ends, like right, like an ohm reading, and read it. And if you get signal through, then you're good. And if not, then you know that there's a problem with your shielding. That's a good way. I have a ton of I it's I have a ton of videos where I've shown you that. But everything sounds good, man. But I know it's nice to be reassured. Susan uh, did a super chat and said thanks for the great year and and the. And, and, oh, year in feature. She's talking about the 2021 re- review, Phil, and uh, a year of great gear info. I appreciate it. Thank you, Suzanne. And uh, I'm glad, again, I like it. Thank you, guys. I uh, The year in review stuff, I think I think it's uh, cool that you guys dug it. Um, Scott says, hey, Phil, I'm in the process of replacing a cr- the chrome on my Les Paul with nickel. Can I change the pickup covers, covers on the guitar or do I have to remove them first? The good news is the answer is yes to both those questions. So I don't know if that's all good news, but it is yes. You can remove the covers. You do have to remove the pickups to remove the covers. I have a video on how to install Chrome covers on your video. So you just search, search McKnight, you know, Chrome covers or something like that. It'll come right up. And, uh, and uh, watch me. That's how I'm installing Chrome covers. And you would reverse that to take them off. You just got to the solder you got to use a little solder and pull them off it's uh it's not an easy or hard process i guess is the best way to put it i feel bad no matter what i say if i say it's easy i feel like you might be doing it going i thought he said this is easy and if i say it's hard uh then a lot you know you might do it and go oh that wasn't that so bad uh you know <laughs> let me put it this way i would rather desolder old our chrome covers off and and get all the wax potting off pickups than i'd like to like uh replace like the, the attachments to the toilet <laughs> and I would, I would rate them about equally as my, about time factor and difficulty. It's, it's going to be, you know, a little of your time and it's going to be a little messy. Uh, Tampa blue said, should manufacturers ensure their beginner guitars are set up well before selling question mark, more beginners might stick with it. Uh, and fewer used guitars out there. Um, so, so, this analogy will be horrible, and I apologize to everyone what I'm about to say, and if I could think of a better one, I would give it to you. This is what I would call the difference between a sniper and a machine gun. Your logic, which is very good, is like a sniper. It's like, hey, I'm going to hit the target, find the target, hit the target, and there'll be no mess. In other words, uh, make a great guitar, get it in the hands of a student, and therefore they'll 
the guitar plays well, they'll learn to play and therefore that we won't be gunked up with tons of used gear versus the machine gun, which is just going to put a lot of bullets out there and hope it hits something. And it probably will, but it'll also make a big mess everywhere. Same logic. I know that's a horrible analogy, but it's what I need right now for this to, to keep the flow going. My point is, is in my experience, I love the world that you live in, uh, that thought. I love that thought. Um, I love the idea that, yes, uh, you know, uh, a good example is this. I love a world where a glary guitar doesn't exist. Let's start there. I know besides the fact that I've told you guys that, like they're great for modding platforms, I like a world where they don't exist. I like a world where a lot of the inexpensive, junkie-esque type guitars don't exist because... Uh, why should they exist? <laughs> what I've learned, unfortunately, is is that um, the the game in which you get people into musical instruments is about exposure. And I, I love saying this. I've been saying this now for almost 20 years. Failing a guitar is not a failure. Okay? Um, I've said this speech so many times. I feel like, you, I, I, even though you've probably never heard it, I feel like I already... I can hear somebody in the background going, oh, this again? Here's my speech. Uh, if you try to play guitar and you fail, I, f I feel that you will learn an appreciation of music. I feel that sometimes some of the things that you really appreciate in life are because of your inability to do them. Uh, we all know Michael Jordan can jump really well, and we know it's hard because all of us have tried to jump, and you can't jump like Michael Jordan. You don't need <laughs> anyone to explain to you that, Jumping really high is hard. You've experienced it. And sometimes trying a musical instrument, and I'm not saying, you know, again, I'll get to the point of the bad instruments first, but trying an instrument is really not just a failure process. It's like a, oh, that was really hard. I don't know if I'll stick with this. And I've said this before on the channel, music is a lifelong journey. So just because you stopped playing music at some point doesn't mean you're done with music right now. It may mean that you might pick it up later. The point is, is I, like I said, I love the idea that that they set up entry-level guitars really well and the guitars play really well. It helps people stick with guitar. And I think I agree with you. I think it would help. And I think it would actually ensure more people stick with guitar in the idea of percentages. So in other words, if 10 people got 10 good guitars, maybe three of them would stick with guitar versus only one or if it was a bad guitar, right? So the problem is, is that because cheap guitars just like the machine gun concept, cheap guitars literally ensure the most exposure. In other words, because, and this is someone, and I'm telling you, this is someone who had to sit there every Christmas. I'll just use Christmas. Every Christmas for over a decade, I one-on-one -on -one sold every single guitar. I sat there, you know, not just me. I mean, people in the store too, <laughs> but but me, one-on-one -on -one with every one of beginners. I've, I've sold beginners so many guitars. I've started so many physically people on their journey to playing guitar. And what I will tell you is this. The same thing I would say in my store, nothing changes. I Would a guitar setup well help a beginner? Yes, but if I had a choice, I would give them a glary and guitar lessons before I'd give them a, a better playing guitar. Because the if they have lessons, look, when you start playing guitar, you can, you know, a lot of you are going to say, I never took a lesson. You don't need lessons. I've said this before. You don't need lessons. You can learn it all on your own. However, <laughs> lessons will ex expedite that process. They will make it faster. And in some cases, they will also ensure that you take to the instrument because there's somebody guiding you, right? Uh, there's a reason why guides are, are valuable. And in that guide, sometimes 
they can also identify when the guitar has issues and help them with it. So that's important too. Um, so, and also I found, and this is what I found too, and this is why I'm telling you the story. What I've learned when it comes with the beginners, we're usually going to talk about kids. So many of you have started playing guitar at 60, at 50, at 40. I see it every day on the channel. I know that exists, but that's not the norm. The norm is we're going to get them between ages about eight to about 15. That's where most of them are going to start picking up the guitar. And it's been that way forever. And again, there's variations that, and at that, pro that point, they're not buying the guitar. The parent is. So you got to understand when I sold guitars to beginners, I sold guitars to parents. It's weird. <laughs> it's like you're selling something to someone who doesn't care. They just are checking a box that my kid wants this thing. They don't look at it. Most parents, no matter what you do, don't look at buying a guitar for their kid any different than an Xbox. Giving them the speech about, oh, they're going to be a musician. It'll be great. It's like, eh, whatever. They just want it and this will shut them up. <laughs> and so I learned that uh, I, if I could get them a hundred dollar guitar and a hundred dollars worth of lessons, man, I had a good shot. And, and then what I also learned is if you can get somebody to play once they play, then the people who are paying for it can start seeing the value of it because they'll never see the value of a good guitar. In other words, if you buy a kid, a good guitar five months later, the parents not going to go, Oh, cause they got a good guitar. They're playing. No, it doesn't matter. In five months when they're, they're, they're sticking with it. The parents reaction is always the same. Like, wow, they're getting pretty good or wow, they're staying with this or wow. And so I love your idea, but I do also know that there's a reason why Lots of cheap guitars are out there. And I do agree, it does kill the percentage mark. Like I said, one in 10 versus three in 10, but it's not 10 cheap guitars. It's 50 cheap guitars versus 10, you know, mid, mid price guitars. Um, and the missing equation of this question is, uh, which you didn't, I, you know, you didn't really ask uh, Tamil Blues, but to say, if we could get better playing guitars dirt cheap, <laughs> then, which I think we have. I mean, we have, I mean, don't get me wrong, $100, $150 Glarys, $150 guitars right now are killing it. Some of those Donner guitars at 150 bucks, there's a reason, you know, I know we're all sick of the Donner ads, but let's, let's face it. I played a bunch of those Donners and they're, I would, I would take any one of them as my first guitar. No, no questions asked. So great question though. Cause I like these discussion because I like talking about people starting the journey and, and I like also acknowledging how difficult it is. Almost a thousand of us hanging out here know it's hard. <laughs> I don't care if you've been playing and you're awesome and you can play 50 arpeggios upside down with your elbows, or if you're like still struggling for a G chord, it's all hard and we all relate. So there you go. Uh, Charles says, thoughts on sanding down a neck of a cheap guitar to thin it out? I've had this question recently. Let's see. It says, I'm just an amateur woodworker. Love your attitude and content. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for the question. Sanding down a neck it's been done by famous guitar players. Obviously, Jimmy Page did it. You know, uh, I don't know if you know this. Famously, Jimmy Page sanded down the neck on his Les Paul and then had the Gibson clone it. And I guess they didn't even give him credit for it or something. But he's kind of the reason why the necks got thinned down. Is my understanding. Some some story of that. I might be a little off on the the details. But um, there was even an argument, I guess, that um, that's why his guitar had a, like some of the tone. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but I believe that if, if you want to start a fight, uh, you think tone was an argument. I actually think how thick the neck really changes the guitar's tone overall. Um, and, and I hate that saying that because this reason, all my guitars with thick necks, I think sound great. And all my guitars with thin nail and thin necks don't sound great, but I love playing the thinner necks. But, um, but, uh, no sanding your neck, uh, is totally Fine. I've said this before. The only thing you have to pay attention to is obviously you can't get too carried away because there is a truss rod in there that's that's been there's a there's a, 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 tr a 
routed out cavity for the tr truss rod. And if you make that piece of wood behind the truss rod too thin, you could damage that. So just be aware of that. There's a lot of ways to figure that out. So, um, but no, sand in the neck, other than killing the value of the guitar, it's fine. Uh, Curtis said for the tip jar, thank you, Curtis. Bradley says, Merry Christmas, Phil. Buy some strings, picks, and beer on me, your choice. I don't need any strings or picks. I bought a lot, so I'll buy beer. <laughs> it's the holidays. Why not? Uh, the, uh, uh, <laughs> I was trying to think. Uh, I'm like, uh, when I said that, I'm like, do I need strings or picks? One of the things cool now, man, is because we do those, uh, I don't know what you call them. My, my wife calls them courtesy packs for the patrons. And it was people who sign up for Patreon and support the channel. She likes to send them the gift pack. And then sometimes the gift, the gift packs have different things. It's kind of random, but it's always this, it's the same group of like items, but there's a variation of what you get. And, uh, because of that, she buys, um, the Herco picks, the, the, the prime tone picks and my strings in bulk. <laughs> so if I, if I need picks or strings now, I just go downstairs. Like this whole bin full of these things is insane. It's great. Uh, Wes says, uh, Phil, love the channel. In one of my, uh, in one of Mark Agnesi's YouTube demos for the studio, he said the coil split turns the humbuckers into P90s. Any truth to that or just sales hype? Well, no, no, no. You understand this. Uh, P90 is a single coil. So um, the question is, the question is, let's let's keep it really easy and really basic because I got to do all this verbal. This isn't a full video, of course. There's no editing. To me, to keep things simple, I always like to say this. A P90 is a single coil with usually a ceramic magnet or a bar magnet. Uh, it could be an Alnico 5 or Alnico 2, but it's a bar that's important. Um, and the reason is I'm going to use my hand. I know I only have five fingers, <laughs> okay? And, but I, I'm, I want you to pretend there's six fingers here, so six slugs, right? On most single coil pickups, Fender-esque pickups, you're going to have six slugs, even though I'm holding five fingers right now. And those six slugs are gonna be Alnico two or five, most likely. And they're magnets, they're magnetized. And the magnetic field in, in my mind looks like a flame, like coming off a candle, right? So you have six individual magnetic fields, one over, you know, one underneath each string. In a uh, P90 pickup, you're going to have six, again, I'm holding five fingers, but just for the uh, illustration, you're gonna have six screws and those screws have magnetic fields. Again, uh, kind of like picture those little flames, um, but there's also a bar magnet on the bottom and that actually has like a picture, an oval magnetic field. So it's actually kind of two magnetic fields. That's what kind of changes things. Not only does the P90 let you wrap more wire around it, which is a big deal. So, cause it's a wider bobbin. So we get a lot more wire, which gives us uh, more resistance, but it, it equates to essentially more output for the lack of a better term. You're gonna get more, <laughs> you just get more output. So the pickup's hotter, you get more push on the amp. And of course the magnetic feels slightly different. And also, cause you're putting a bar underneath there, you can make that bar pretty hefty. And again, increase that magnetic field. You can make that magnetic field have even more. So a P90 is more, <laughs> that's all you have to know. It's just more. It's like everything about a single coil, but more, right? So could you uh, split a humbucker and have a P90? Well, again, I don't know in the verbiage he used exactly cause I don't know the video you're talking about, but he could have said, obviously like a P90, or he could have been referring to the P90 tone. So they might've voiced the pickup in a way that it does that. And again, a humbucker is, when coil split, in my opinion, 
kind of sometimes more like uh, the P90 because you do have <laughs> a bar. Um, even though you see slugs, six slugs on a humbucker and six screws, there's a usually one uh, magnet in between them, uh, either Alnico 5, 8, 2, you name it. And, um, and, and ceramic, of course, as well, which is easy. Um, and uh, so essentially they have the same thing. You have those little flame looking, you know, like I said, just picture it. I just need you to visual. You have a little flames of, of magnetic field over each slug or screw. And then of course the main magnetic field. I would argue that every coil split humbucker that doesn't have six individual slug magnets, like a single coil is essentially a weak powered P90. So I would actually say he's right in context of what he's saying. Like, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, remember when, I, for me, it was Scott Grove. When Scott Grove was like, there's no such thing as an input jack on a guitar. There's only an output jack. And then everybody said that for like ever. <laughs> and and I and I remember like, oh man, this is a thing. And so every time you say it accidentally, like, oh, my input jack on my guitar. And they're like, don't you mean output jack? You have to deal with that forever when he created that animal. God bless him. And, um, and uh, my, <laughs> my point is the same thing. Technically, I would say Mark Ignisi is correct in saying that a coil split humbucker is kind of more P90-esque in concept, but not sound, because obviously the thing that makes a P90 is more, <laughs> more wire, more magnet, more. And usually what I hear when I see a coil split humbucker is less than a single coil. It's like less volume, less power. But, so, uh, I don't know if I would agree or disagree with him, but I, that statement should clarify what I think he was talking about. And that's without hearing him. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I didn't hear the actual statement, but that would be my assessment of it. There you go. That's why I love P90s. <laughs> I love P90s. It's a single coil with more. Um, okay. Uh, uh, Rasha 07 says, cheers, sir. Thank you for these videos. You're, you're very welcome. Thank you for supporting me, uh, each week. Jeff, uh, says, Phil, let's talk about acoustic bridge pens. What really matters? Differences. What better? I, I see graph tech, titanium, steel, bone, even worth it. I did a sharpen my axe on a Taylor guitar where I changed out the tuning keys to locking tuning keys. And I changed the pens, uh, from the, uh, the plastic ivoryoid, ivoryoid ones it's a real thing so i'm not messing that word up ivoryoid uh which is uh plastic and uh it's a fancy word for plastic and uh changed them to brass and sure as hell it changed the sound i just didn't think i did that video with the total like this won't make a difference and then literally it made some difference you know just because something makes some difference <laughs> I, i've learned in youtube it's really what you're trying to get out of the deal, right? I find sometime, and again, I'm becoming a very tenured YouTuber now, and I think some of you guys are recognizing that. It's it's at first, it's not about clicks. It's just about, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to make this, and I'm going to make this, and this is what people will see, and this is what will happen. And slowly over time, you go, okay, you got you to gotta temper yourself a little bit so that, so that not everything you say is just this, you know, this wild card thrown out there. So for instance, I did that video because like I was th I was thinking like, oh, I'll do it and then no one will hear a difference and then we'll debunk that old thing. And the reality was I heard a little bit of difference. And because you can probably hear a little bit of difference in the video and I said there was a little bit of difference, now it's like that thing where I'm, people are probably banking on it. But what I'm going to tell you is I heard a difference. You would probably hear a difference. 
I don't know if I would value that difference. Some people are probably going to tell you like they did it and it changed their life and they love it. And, and I, I, I think it's just depend, depends on how much change do you value? You know what I mean? Sometimes the changes are minute. Um, but does that really matter? Like, let me put it this way. That was my tailor in that video and there is not brass pins on it now. <laughs> Why? I think I like the brass pins sound better, but aesthetically, I, I like the way the other one looked and I felt like I lost nothing taking them back out. So to answer your question, I would not be shocked at all if you change all the pins, it made some kind of difference, some kind of difference. Um, but I don't know if I could chase that, that demon, so to speak. Um, I think I would just still pick whatever aesthetically looked the best. As long as the guitar sounds good, I just don't think it's going to really matter to me. Uh, Lit Faye, thank you for supporting the channel, man. I love it. You mean, sent me a, a funny face. <laughs> I love it, Lit Faye, man. Thank you, man. Uh, Frank says, hey, Phil, I'm a huge fan. So I liquidated 20. Whoa, what? He's a huge fan, so he liquidated. No, he says, I'm a huge fan. So, comma, I liquidated 20 higher-end guitars and a few amps over six months to help buy a house. Smart move. Property is better, much better purchase. I love when people are like, Bitcoin over guitars. I don't know about that, but property seems to be a thing to do. How long does the pain last? Hmm. I don't think the pain, I don't think you have to sit. First of all, don't feel pain, man. Buying a house is a great idea. I mean, I don't know about that. I said, you know, it's, I wish we lived in a world where you could just say all the things that normally made sense, right? Buying a house is probably a good idea. <laughs> Let's just lean it there. I, somebody's going to point to me why it's a wrong idea, and they're probably not going to be wrong. But let me just say it this way. I, I would have done your deal. I would have sold. Oh, look, if I if I had to buy a house again or start that journey down that road, uh, yeah, I would liquidate all this stuff out. I see it all the time. You know, hey, I'm selling a bunch of my collection to buy a house or buy a car. Of course, of course. Uh, my daughter's 17. Uh, I think, I think I got college dialed in a little bit, but let me tell you, I'm not exaggerating. I'm ready. I've told my wife already, we have to do a, if you guys ever see like a fire sale on the know your gear chain of guitars, you'll see exactly which four or five of my favorite for sure. Cause the rest are going to go to pay for some college. Look, that's just reality. I think if you have a, a family and, and <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I actually make a living with music and guitars and, and being in this environment and I still can't justify it. So I can imagine if it was just a hobby, I consider this kind of a hobby, but this is a hobby for me that kind of turned into a, a living. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? So no, uh, don't think of his pain, man. Think of the good news. I will tell you this. Um, <laughs> I, I will tell you this. The good news is this. You'll eventually get to buy those guitars again. Um, I never really had to sell any guitars to buy a house or doing that stuff. I went crazy when my son was born. As soon as I found out we wanted a kid, obviously. And, uh, I tell you that because this is why the rest doesn't make sense. Like, I'm like, me and my wife are like, I want a child. She wants a child. And then she's pregnant. And you think I'd be like, yay. But instead I had this weird reaction where I decided we were going to be poor forever. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I was like, this will be the last guitar. I'll never buy anything again. Cause it will just be all diapers and formula. And uh, I will tell you this, so I've said this before to all you younger families out there, you young dads, you young moms, uh, I will tell you right now, if you're expecting a, a kid, a baby, uh, everyone lies to you. Don't listen to the lies. I will always make sure for the rest of my life, I tell everybody, I don't care if I just randomly meet somebody who's pregnant in the store, I will tell them, everyone is lying to your face about diapers and diapers and um, 
and formula. The thing that's going to suck all your money and destroy your life is daycare. <laughs> I remember like starts out and you're like buying formula and diapers and you're like, man, this is expensive. This is crazy. And then one day when the kid gets old enough and you got to, your wife's got to, you know, you got to go back to work and you're like, go to the daycare. And then that's the end of it. <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. I pay you how much? That's like $80 more than I make. <laughs> All right, I'm done. <laughs> but um, so good for you for buying a house is what I'm trying to say. And uh, and uh, I would suggest uh, that you uh, look forward to enjoying to buying guitars. Uh, and you know what? You'll buy the ones you really love back. So it'll work out. Aaron Shorts Music. Hey, what's up? I know that name. I have one of your shirts. Just hit 10K. I saw that. He just hit 10,000 subscribers uh, on the on the show. Uh, so the uh, Sound Hole Sniffer shirt, say that twice as fast, is available on all of my videos now. He's letting you know. Get a, I got one. <laughs> he might have sent this to me. I don't remember if I bought this one. I know I bought an RNA Music one recently. I think Aaron sent this one to me and I sent him one of ours. I think that's how I did it. Sometimes I buy them. Sometimes I, sh I shirt swap them. But either way. I, re I recommend it. It's a good shirt. And it's a good channel. Check out his channel. He does a live show too. His live show, what I love about his live show, I listen to it a lot in the background, is uh, he's the opposite of me. He's calm. <laughs> Everything, well thought. <laughs> he's, every every response is well thought out. Some time put into it. He, you know what he pauses? The pause, just for a second, just to make sure that what he's going to say is articulate. Where I'm just like a chaos. This is just chaos. Uh, so I love the chaos. I hope you guys love the chaos too. But if you ever want to like add some non-chaos to your life and get a good show, check out his uh, live show as well. Um, Felix, thanks for the super chat, man. Michael wants to know if I have any predictions for guitar trends for, guitar trends for 2022. Yes, my prediction is that the industry in January will realize that fourth quarter was not what they were thinking it was going to be. Now, I don't want to doom and gloom this. I'm not saying that. But I really think fourth quarter is not landing the way a lot of people predicted. I think a lot of people have predicted a lot of freak out because of the supply chain issues and stuff. And and I think, I think I don't know, because I'm, I'm not in, a, in the business of retail sales anymore and all that stuff. So I don't know what's really going on out there. But obviously, like you guys, I'm paying attention. And what I'm seeing is not what was happening previously over this boom. And again, we're slowing down from the boom is how it feels. Slow down is not the end of the world for us, not yet. Because again, if you're if you're going, I told you guys this last week, if you're going 125 and you slow down 100, you're still speeding. So it's not that. But it just feels like there's a little bit of a slowdown. And why that matters, here's why it matters. The impulse buying changes a little bit. Um, so here's what I think, here's my predictions, a couple things. I think companies that have become lax in the whole, this is how it is and suck it, I think they're about to have a rude awakening in the market. I think that's the first people they're gonna feel something. So for instance, the whole, it takes eight months and that's just how it is, I think they're gonna see that, that they're not gonna get their purchase um, because we're not as we don't need necessarily that instant gratification right? <laughs> somewhere to get it somewhere else now. See, before it was like, I guess I'll wait. I'll sit here and just wait and watch Tiger King for the fifth time. I don't know what you guys watch, but <laughs> watch reruns of the new year gear podcast over and over again, whatever you're doing, waiting for your guitar. I think a lot of people are going to be like, I'm not waiting. Like if it's not in stock, if I can't get some kind of instant, uh, kind of like what I want in the, when I want it, I think they're going to, you're going to see a pass. Um, 
Todd0864 says, went to Guitar Center today and is well-stocked. I agree. I, I think that's what I'm seeing everywhere else, well-stocked. I think the uh, the manufacturers are catching up. Um, I still have, you know, like I said, when I talk to friends that are in, in the manufacturing side, they tell me they're still back-ordered, but the back-orders are way less than what they were just quoting just five, four or five months ago. So they are catching up. And I think the catch-up is also... They're catching up, and then there's a little bit of a slowdown. So my predictions are a little bit of adjustment there. What, Why that's probably good news, it could be good news for us, us gear fanatics, is that, that for the last two years almost, there's been no need or necessary desire for the manufacturers to really entice us to do anything. So it's been kind of like... You know, if you realize, you know, you guys probably don't realize there's not been a whole lot of new gear. As someone who makes videos of new gear, <laughs> it's been really tough. In fact, if you notice half the time, half the videos I make and the other YouTube channels are making, you're like, oh, that's already been out or there ain't that available anywhere. So there's not a lot of excitement you can draw from that. So I, I think um, I think a lot of companies are going to kind of uh, try to entice us. What I can't tell you is that I've already... in. I'm going to, I have some videos planned for next month and there's a couple of new products that are very exciting and you know, and so there'll be some new exciting products for sure next month. I already seen them. So I'm like, all right, but I'm in D8. I can't disclose it till the release dates. So I get, uh, you know, and, and normally where I'm not sure if I want to be in those kind of like, I don't know, do I want to be the first to show off a piece of gear? Uh, I do now because I've been so desperate because I haven't seen any new gear. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, please send anything new and exciting. I'm excited about that. So yeah, somebody says, I couldn't believe how much stock Guitar Center has. Yeah, well, think of it this way. I haven't seen Sweetwater with this much inventory in a while. I was on their website the uh, week ago looking at stuff, and um, um, like, wow, it was like every other guitar. I was like, oh, in stock, in stock, in stock. I was really shocked. Um, amps that I, you know, amps that I've been looking at that haven't been there forever now in stock, fully in stock. So, um, so that's good. I mean, I, I think it's good uh, because, like I said, you, you know, I don't know how long you can stay on this boom. <laughs> Who knows? What do I know? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, we have uh, Telly Driver says, if I plan on having my guitar in its case for a few weeks, months for the winter, should I detune it? I don't think you have to. I don't. And I know I don't have the winters that you're probably talking about because, you know, in Arizona, the winter is like 50 degrees. Maybe it dips in a couple times at night in the 30s. Um, so I, I can't really tell you anything there. But uh, no, I don't feel the need. If you're that nervous, maybe you could put uh, down to a half step or a full step. But I, I don't know. I, I think you're fine either way. Uh, every every argument I've ever heard or seen, there is absolutely a counter argument. In other words, in my life, I have seen more as as many guitars I've seen stated by someone saying they were in a case and tuned, and this happened, the neck twisted, and this happened. I've seen as many as somebody where there's no strings on it, which essentially is just making the strings all floppy, and there's an issue. So either way, you're taking a chance. Uh, what I've learned is if the guitar is built well and you put it in a case and you're not doing something crazy, like I said, I don't think you'd want to put it in height. Like, don't put it next to the furnace and then let it be next to the cold. That doesn't seem like it's really good. But um, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I, 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 I personally wouldn't detune the guitar. But if you want to, you can detune it a half step or full step. And that won't hurt it either. That way, it's, that's a good intermediate. Uh, Grumpy Mike Guitar says, what does he says? He says, uh, oh, 
He did? He Hold on. He says, I got the decal. I love it. Thanks. I didn't even know she sent it. I told you, she's been feeling better. So because she's been feeling better, she's like been on it. Like I told you, all the giveaways and stuff, she got all that stuff out. Um, the PA, so you guys know, it was great, was I got to meet the person who won the PA. His name's Dominic. Uh, he actually came to the house, stopped by, and we hung out in my garage. And and uh, and uh, I met his wife. She was very nice. And we talked guitars for a while. And uh, he came and got the PA. He lived... Uh, not far from me, maybe 40 minutes, an hour away. So when he, I was like, oh, that's great. And, uh, and, uh, my wife hooked him up a little bit and gave him a pedal for, uh, well, she gave me the pedal to give to him. And, uh, for, for the fact that she's like, I don't have to box the thing up and take care of that. It was worked out great for her. So I think it worked out great for him. I don't know. Um, but it seemed, seemed nice. And like I said, it was a nice visit, nice talk guitars and, uh, super nice people. And, uh, like I said, the PAs now in somebody's loving arms, they can play music through it. Um, oh, and he says he's got a video coming next week. So, he's, you know, you haven't been doing videos lately. I was actually wondering if you were taking a break or what you're doing. The last video was like the Pix video. I'm talking to the Grumpy Guitar Mike. I seen the, I think I popped in a couple times to see if you had put any videos out, and I hadn't seen anything since Pix video. So, oh, good. I'm glad you're making more videos. Uh, William says, I'm really gassing for a pre, oh, I'm really gassing for my pre ordered Ibanez guitar. Can you speed up the shipment from Japan? I cannot. Although that's another thing. If you've seen tons of main Japan guitars coming in stock everywhere. Uh, so it's, I'm assuming it's coming. They seem to all be catching up slowly. Um, Francisco says, Phil, got a quick question. Quick one. Um, will the Ultra Series Strat Bridge fit well on a Player Series Strat? Mostly, uh, wait, mostly whether the offset string saddles are an issue. The Ultra Series Strat Bridge should be interchangeable with the two posts on the other Strat Bridge. There's nothing I've seen that makes them not interchangeable. The spacing on the on the uh, posts should be the exact same. So I'm going to say, yeah. I'm going to say, yeah. I mean, I'm not looking at it and stuff, but that's my guess, and I'm, I'm going to go with it, and I think I'm right. Uh, Ellie says, what's your recommendation for a low-watt head with good clean tone to record DI with pedals? Uh, won't have a speaker looking at the Laney L5 Studio. You know, the Laney amps are one of those amps I definitely want to check out. Maybe I should get them on the channel um, and do some videos. Uh, the, I like the Runt by Friedman because it's got the DI for recording, but the clean channel is basic. It's really good, but it's very basic. You only get the one kind of volume and then you get the three, you know, bright switch. I wish there was, I wish they could have integrated the tone stack into that. I think that amp would have just killed at that point. Um, other direct recording out amps, obviously, I think the Hughes and Kittner have a great clean sound and they have effects built in and they have DI. That red box DI is fantastic, something else to think about. And of course, the Ingle um, Ironball SE has a direct out, really nice direct out with programmable IRs. Um, I hear great things about the Rev DD20. That's the clean one, right? There's like a D. I don't know what they are. Something, there's one that's got distortions and one that's got cleans. Um, that's the one that all of you talk about the most. I have never played a Rev product. One pedal. I've played one pedal because I bought one. But I've never played any of their amps or anything. So I don't know anything about Rev uh, in the way they sound. Like I said, they were at some events, but I didn't get to, like through the weird luck, I just never got to plug into their, any of their amps. So, But a lot of you guys talk about that amp and that would be really good. And it's got the direct out and, it's, and that's got IRs too. Look, if you're going to do direct out, if you can get... Uh, programmable or even pre-recorded IRs, um, you know, that, that would work. And, and like I said, cause you're looking at a low watt head, uh, for clean tones. Um, I'm trying to think one more 
for for a good direct out that I've tried because I'm trying to say the ones I tried, not just the ones I know of. Um, I mean, some, a lot of amps have direct outs, but I, I here's where I'm stuck. I I can't recommend stuff I don't like, and some of the direct outs that's the problem. I don't I'm not a big fan of some of the direct outs. Um, the Mark V Mini, the cab uh, d direct out on that is pretty good. Again, it has a great clean channel, has built-in reverb. That's nice. Again, a lot of those I'm recommending are more expensive than the L5. So that's why I'd like to try the L5. Oh, don't forget Blackstar uh, amps, man. They actually are pretty good and they have a good direct out. You can get one of those five or 20 watts. I would look at the 20 watt ones. Pretty good. I don't know if they're better than the Laney because I haven't tried the Laney. So I'm going to try the Laney. I, I think we've talked me into that. I'll do a video. Uh, Jim says, Merry Christmas, Phil. Thanks for another awesome year in content. Keep it up. Thank you, Jim, for a huge super chat. That was awesome of you. Uh, MP Kramer says, Phil, I'm in the process of building a guitar. Three custom wound, uh, the Confi pickups. Knife. Confi pickups. Uh, what? So Confi pickups are the big, fat Fender pickups. They're just huge. Uh, and uh, notoriously, they're like notoriously known for having this amazing tone. One of the things, one of the reasons being, obviously, I think is, is, is uh, the field, right? Spreading that field out where they pick up each sound, you know, the more highs, more lows kind of logic. Um, it's uh, what body type do you think? Les Paul, Strat, Jazzmaster, and Finish. I'm thinking a good leaf top and a root beer top coat. Um, you know, those are some cra crazy pickups to stick in a Les. I'd do the Les Paul. Just if you're willing to, you're suggesting the Les Paul, do that, man. That'd be crazy. I don't know. You're saying three custom wound pickups. I would measure it. <laughs> the, the distance between the bottom of the fretboard and the and the bridge, it's going to be almost no room in there for doing all three of those pickups because they're they're wider than regular humbuckers. So. You might have to go with a Strat or Jazzmaster. But if you could do a Les Paul, I'd do it. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to caution you. you got to make sure you measure twice, cut once. Uh, that's an, uh, If you look at the distance, it's not the same as the Strat when it comes to distance of fretboard to the, to the bridge. Mad Max says, any comments on the Fractal FM3? Any comments? Uh, yeah, I want to tell a joke that I made up. That's not funny. So that's what, what a great way to sell it, right? Here's a joke that's not funny, but I say it to my friends. Uh, and you're my friends. <laughs> I love I love Fractal and I love um, Kemper. And, and what I don't love is the debate of Fractal and Kemper and tube amps. <laughs> that's what I've learned. And what I've learned is, and I mean no disrespect to anybody, because you'll see what I mean in a second. I've decided that for some reason, you have one side and they're the tube side and you have one side and that's the modeling profiler side. And then there's a fight between the modeling and the profilers. So like the profilers fight with the modelers and then the profiler modelers fight with <laughs> the tube amp people. And I've decided I liken this to meat eaters and vegetarians. And here's, it's like some people are like, there's just nothing like meat. <laughs> so you gotta have meat. There's nothing like tubes. And what I've laughed at, what I laughed about is, is I've learned that um, a lot of people that are really into modelers and profilers, they like to talk to me. And I've learned that they talk to me in a re really funny way. They'll say, oh man, it's just like a tube amp. And I'll say, oh yeah, it's really good. And they'll go, no, Phil, it's just like a tube amp. And I go, oh, I, I know. I mean, it's really good. I mean, it sounds almost like just like a real amp. And they're like, no, Phil, it's just like a tube amp. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I really like it. 
and and, <laughs> and that's the reason I say about the vegetarian thing, again, no disrespect to vegetarians. It's kind of like the same thing. It's like, hey, the Impossible Burger is just like a real burger. I'm like, oh, yeah, I had one. It was really good. And they're like, no, Phil, it's just like a real burger. I'm like, well, I mean, it was really close. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so that's my not funny joke. So my response to you is, uh, what are my thoughts on the comments on the Fractal FM3? Sure. Uh, I like it. I like fractal stuff. Just like I, I like the Kemper stuff. I like I like that stuff. I like uh, plugins. I like software that use that stuff. I have a use for all that stuff to degree. Uh, for me, it's just, I, I've been using a Kemper a lot longer than I've used uh, an AxeFX for a unit for years. Um, and I don't use them very often. Uh, I Like I told you, for a, a period of time, probably a year I had, I had um, I can say this for, for a year, I had the helix and then I, the following year I had the ax effects and the Kemper units. And what I learned is for me, uh, which is the whole pr premise of the know your gear, uh, philosophy, it's like to figure, you know, figure your stuff out, right? Figure your stuff out and figure what works for you. And so it's not that one thing sounds better than another. For me, it's how well can I use a thing? That's really what I want to, you know, that's what I, what I mean by it. it's like, I can get the sound out of something that's all it really matters to me. So here's what I learned about me, not those units. I function well with the Kemper uh, system. The way it's, it's to me, it's just like, uh, it's a toaster oven of knobs. It's knobs. I understand knobs, right? Um, like for some people will say, well, like you could plug it in your software and do your computer thing. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's what I've kind of learned, right? I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do that. Um, my Spark, I'm going on a side tangent. My Spark, I can't use my Spark anymore um, because I don't know what the hell happened, but apparently I went too long playing my Spark and I didn't update it. And so I went, I don't know how, what happened, but my Spark presets like blanked out. And now I have these four crappy tones and I was messing with it and I'm like, oh, I should just get the app. So I got the app on my phone and my app won't connect to the spark because it's like, you need to update it. And I'm like, okay. And it's like, now you got to go plug in the computer. And so now it's been two weeks that my spark has been sitting sideways next to my amp in my bedroom as I just do not have the energy or I don't see I'm frustrated already. I don't even know how I'm never going to plug that spark into my computer. And so now me and the spark are having a standoff on, I'm not going to update you and you're not going to work until I update you. So now you are the most expensive paperweight in the corner. I know I'm kind of dogging on the spark a little bit, but it's not, it's just, that's what happened. So this is my point. That's how it was. AxeFX is to me. It's like the programming part is just the, the downfall for me. I'm just not into programming this thing. Um, and, and to me, the, the, the Kemper just became a little easier to do. And that's what I was experimenting with. And I would keep messing with it and doing with it. So, um, so I, that's why I lean towards that more. Um, I really think, uh, and, and of course <laughs> I really, I always say this cause I have friends that have, uh, obviously Larry Mitchell's, uh, not only a, a huge, uh, person on the Axe FX stuff, he's obviously one of their demo artists. And, you know, he tells me like, oh, no, it's all about plugging the computer and you do. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So to me, it's how do I how does the 
interface interact with me. And to me, it was just easier to deal with the, the Kemper style stuff. And I thought the Helix was much easier. So that's why I liked, I told you guys, I like the HX Stomp, same thing. I, I just like the way that, that, that response works. Um, and that's my fancy way of saying, I bet you if you told me the Fractal FN3 sounded better than all that stuff, I wouldn't argue with you a, a bit. I would just say in the concept of my workflow process and my mindset and how I think and work, these things work better for me. And that's just what it, how it works. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just not looking for more stuff to do. I, 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 I kind of feel like it's homework. <laughs> so, but sound-wise, fantastic. And if you're good at working with it, more power to even more Mad Max. Again, because I know they sound good. I don't think that's the question. I think th there's no question about how they all, all these units sound. Um, I think it's just, for me, it's the interfaces. Uh, Hog Rotten, great name says, have a jalapeno beer. He's, I'm kidding. He's kidding. It's a jalapeno beer. I've never had a jalapeno beer, but where I live, we, you know, uh, for some of you that don't live in the Southwest, uh, you know, jalapenos are not a big thing every, well, I guess they are now. It's like, kind of like, uh, avocados. They're everywhere now. Um, but, uh, for those fans of trailer, tra trailer park boys, right? Jalapenos. I love that. Um, but yeah, jalapeno beer. I will look. I've never seen a jalapeno beer. Now I'm curious. I'll go to the 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 wine and more store and look at the beer selection. Since you since you since you super chatted me for that, it's on your dime. I might as well try it. If I hate it, what am I what am I out? Uh Heavy in Hawaii says, would you buy a used PV amp when the company is where it is? Uh edge of a cliff. Uh, well, here's the thing. I really trust old PV gear, especially made in USA gear, but even some of the newer made in China amps like the classic series. Look, the design is the same. It's solid. They didn't change the design when they went over to China uh, and maybe change some components and stuff. But one thing, it's, again, it's, it's a perspective thing of cost. To you, maybe a, a PV classic is a very expensive amp. Someone who's been buying in, uh, amps for many years and in the you know into amps like I am, uh, to me a five six hundred dollar amp is not a huge investment for an amplifier. In the concept of if I get a year or two three out of it and it starts acting up, I'm not going to freak out. You know, it's a little bit for me. It's a little bit more nerve wracking when they're really expensive. That's expensive, but you know what I mean. Really expensive for me. So to you, a five six hundred dollars feels expensive because that's how it is. It's an emotional response. Um, it uh, and it craps out. You know you might be upset, but also PV generally is a little easier for a lot of amp techs to understand and work with. Um, that's what I'm saying. They made some classic stuff. And if that, that's why it's so sad to watch what happened. Um, so to answer your question, like I always do, what would I do in your situation? I would still buy one like a classic amp. I don't know which one you're talking about, but like the Joe Satrani amp, you know what I mean? If I saw that for 500 bucks, maybe I'd pick that up if I thought I needed it. Great amp. So Yeah. Uh, but uh, like I said, the only issue I would see not to buy PV, because again, warranty wise, I don't even know. Warranties are almost a joke anyways. And, and, uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't worry about that too much, you know, if they're not going to be around to, to service the warranty, because most warranties now are just silly and how they work. Um, you know, they're like 90 days on the parts and not on the labor, but the labor is the most expensive part. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, we'll pay the $3 part. You just got to pay the $35 an hour minimum, $35 minimum hour plus, you know, each hour. And that's if that's what, what it is now. I'm not an Amtech. I would imagine those days are gone too. Um, but uh, um, no, I'd still buy one of their amps. Uh, the only reason I'd say not to is if you have a, uh, if you're emotionally like, oh, after I watch the undercover boss and their their company, um, you know. But I, as I always say, you know, you're buying a used one. 
then, you know, that's probably best way to do it anyways. Uh, Tim says, uh, uh, I, I love your industry perspective, technical knowledge, passion for the instrument. Uh, you're humble and humorous. Thank you for the humorous part. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure to timestamp this and take my wife right to it. See, more proof. I am funny. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Tim. I would definitely pay you $20 for that comment because, again, uh, I will use that many times over. <laughs> when she says, you're not funny. I get told I'm not funny a lot. She's like, that's not funny. I'm like, I am funny. I can prove it. <laughs> and now I'll be like, go to the uh, two-hour mark of episode 242. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Jeff says, hey, Phil, I love the content. I'm looking for a great Epiphone 339, and I was wondering what the sound difference between uh, that and the Epiphone 335. Uh, so I've I've played both the Epiphone 335 and 339. I've uh, played the Gibson 335 and 339, and I think they sound almost identical. I don't really hear a huge difference. But so, you know, I don't really hear a huge difference between a 335 and a Gibson Les Paul, uh, especially if the same type of pickups in them. They almost sound identical. Um, to me, it's more of an aesthetic vibe and the feel. Because, you know, when you have a 335, you know, uh, it's a big guitar. You know, you kind of feel like almost like it's thin, but you have like an acoustic. It's kind of like, ah, you know, purposeful. You know, your arm's up, ready to strum. Um, 339 brings it all back in, brings my arm back down to this position, which is more like the Les Paul and feels really good. I, I like them both. I don't know if I would consider them to be huge difference in tone, though. I'm sure there's probably is some difference in sound because there's less mass, and sometimes that does equate to things. But uh, essentially... Um, well, let me put it this way. There's nothing in my in my experience playing those guitars that would lead me to believe that the sound would be the the reasoning. To me, the 339 versus the 335 is all about the comfort vibe. You know, do you want the bigger body? Put the arm here. Drop my phone on the floor. <laughs> or 339, put the arm there. So uh, I hope, hope that kind of gets you down that road. Uh, Music Therapy Laz, what's up, buddy? He says, happy holidays, Phil. Because of you, I got a great deal on a Friedman. Oh, okay. I saw you got the Joseph Strani. He says, how are you liking the custom leather uh, rock sacks? So I'll get to that in a second. He says, acoustic treatment guitar hanger. Need to help with a shorter name. Yeah, I would say, no, rocks, ease, rocks. Did I call it rock sacks? Rocks, ease, rocks, R-O-X, ease, roxies. Yes. Uh, I like it. He made me, I, I showed it uh, to you guys, I think on, on one of the, social media platforms he made me a beautiful leather uh hanger it's like a wall it's like a backing and it has a string swing hanger on it and can hang a guitar it's in my shop um i have not been in the shop if you've seen for any videos so that's why you haven't seen it anywhere um so i'll make sure when i get to a shop footage i'll make sure it gets in there but i absolutely love it thank you for the gift i got to meet uh music therapy Laz a couple months ago when he was in town and we met up and he gave me the nice gift. Um, so I assume when you say Freeman, you got a, uh, an amp because you bought the Freeman guitar. So I would imagine you have the amp. I'm curious which, which, which amp. Uh, I'll talk to you later about that. So, um, but again, been enjoying your live shows. I, get, I do live shows probably like a lot of you guys. I just listen to it. <laughs> so I just have it in the background. It's really nice. Um, Seth says, just put some DiMarzio, DiMarzio 
Uh, Eric Johnson Customs in my 08 Mira. Well, that's a good combo, right? Because the Mira pickups are kind of like that vibe too. Uh, and uh, I love it. Thoughts on low output humbuckers. They're like 6.6K and 7.1 and very articulate. I think the Eric Johnson uh, humbuckers are some of the best humbuckers out there. And they do, to me, I really, like I've said this before, the Eric Johnson DiMarzios and the, and the uh, Thornbuckers kind of have the same vibe. The Thornbuckers are a little bit more powerful than the EJs, but the EJs, what they do is they give you this single coil clarity and vibe, but obviously they're fuller like a humbucker because they're really low output. I love them. Um, I have a set of Eric Johnson's. I just don't know what they're in. I haven't looked in a while. <laughs> they're in some, I know it's a semi hollow guitar I have. I think it's, I don't know what, oh, I'm going to look, I'm going to look. Um, so I absolutely love them. They do kind of like with the mirror. I think they sound probably a little better than the mirror pickups. So, you know, but the mirror pickups are trying to do the same thing. This low output uh, humbucker. So very cool. Glad you like them. I really like them too. Um, and a lot of you, I, I don't know what they go for anymore. I was going to say a lot of you, if you're looking at the thornbuckers, sometimes those are a good cost alternative, but I think prices on pickups have gone up so much that they're probably closer to the same price. Disappearing 23. I don't know how, what that would mean. Says, <laughs> hello, sir. Great show. Oh, we, as always. Oh, anyways, not always. He said, anyways. Uh, is it me or is the Gibson and other companies up their prices on some models in the past four to five months? Yeah, twice. Not Gibson, but just some companies twice. Like the price hit and then a price hit again. Absolutely. Look, inflation's real. <laughs> I don't think we're, I don't think anyone is here to question that doesn't exist. It's, it's here. It's the prices are going up and we know there's tons of reasons why it's not just the COVID. It's not just the supply chains. There's all kinds of factors going on. And, uh, and if you're reading articles, like I'm reading articles, trying to make sense of all this mess, we know that there's a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie to this. In other words, there is companies that are getting caught raising their prices when really nothing's really infecting them in inflation wise and raising their prices also considerably more than the inflation hitting them. Now in that case, cause there's always a good point to make the, the argument the other way. Cause I've, I've physically seen this too. I've seen uh, personally, I've seen some companies totally eating the price increases. What I will tell you disappearing 23 is what I will tell all of you, which is the only thing that uh, makes me nervous me personally on my side of the screen is that I've been talking to so many of these companies that for the last two years, that a lot of them keep concerning me with these, this discussion of how they're not passing on the price increases. And I, and they don't say it directly. They just kind of indirectly kind of say like, Oh, I'm going to have to. And so a lot of times when I'm looking at what we think is price increases, I think some of the price increases haven't even came yet. I think we're going to, I think companies are waiting for when they can. So again, some companies went right to it. As soon as their costs went up, our costs go up. But some of them are eating it. And there's only so long that can happen and they're going to have to pass it on. So um, it's, it's like I said, I'm not trying to scare people into buying stuff, but I am telling you, if there's something you really want, I think you should really consider buying it now before later. One thing I will tell you that I think we're probably going to see go absolute balls crazy. I don't know why I said that. I kind of feel cool saying balls crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, cabinets. I think we're about to, if you haven't been watching cabinets, look, you can't take gas prices, shipping costs, uh, lumber costs. I mean, think about this. If you think about a cabinet logistically, every single thing pummeled on it. The materials skyrocketed. The, the way to transport, the transportation cost skyrocketed. 
the speakers, the cost of speakers skyrocket. Everything's skyrocketing. And cabinets have been slowly inching up. But I think if you're seriously thinking about getting a nice 212, 112, 412 cabinet, I would definitely. And, and you got to understand, I, I think a lot of people selling them used aren't really paying attention. Um, I had a friend recently listing one of his cabinets. And I said, that seems low. And he's like, really? And I said, well, they're like $1,500 new. And he goes, no, they're like $900 new. And we pulled it up and they were actually $1,400 new. Still doesn't matter. He was like, holy crap. So I would definitely uh, say if you're in the market for a cabinet, I, I again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I apologize in the future, but I got a feeling you'll be thinking me later if that's something you make the price, uh, or, you know, jump on. Uh, I'm laughing at the ball skirt. Uh, it says, uh, Warham5 says, hey, from uh, South Korea, new guitar day for me, PRS special semi-hollow. I blame you for it, and I thank you. Uh, just sh sharing the good vibes. Hope your wife is well, too. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, and I'm glad you like the guitar. Um, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it's, I like it when some people says, I'm blaming you this for this. I'm like, yes, yes, I understand. I'm the problem, <laughs> but I know what you mean. Uh, um, okay, let me button this up. Just let me double check something. And, uh, the, uh, there's, uh, two more super chats. No more super chats, please. Uh, the next one is from gear freak who says, Phil, what's your dog's name? Love the bloopers. Thanks. I have two dogs. And I, I told you guys this again. You're gonna hate me for this. My wife says I'm tell I'm allowed to tell you the dog's name's dog. <laughs> I've said this before. My wife had strict rules when I went on YouTube, and the rules were simple. I'm not allowed to. She doesn't want to be in videos. She doesn't want the kids to be in videos, and we can't. I, I got I got to put the dog one of the dogs in the video. I think one dog's been in a video, and then I put one dog on social media. She let me just put the dogs in there, but she said we can't say the name of the dogs. I, I don't know why. I mean, I know it's probably what you guys think. And it's like they're, she's worried that somebody's going to stalk us or something weird. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just um, she knows that I'm pretty open about stuff. So I think she's just she, she made some boundaries, I think, to keep me sane. But um, but the good news is I'm not technically lying. I literally call the dog dog. <laughs> um, and I also call my son boy. Uh, the boy and the dog went for a walk. I literally is something I just said uh, yesterday. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> to my wife, she's looking at me, she's asking me a question. I'm like, oh, the boy and the dog went for a walk. The only thing that changes that is um, uh, if uh, I'm upset with the boy or the dog, then their names change to your dog and your boy. Your boy <laughs> did not do this and your dog did that. <laughs> So that is what I call um, the the uh, the dogs, the dog, and yes, both dogs. <laughs> it's dumb, but it's true. Uh, Atten, ah man, I'm jacking up your name. I'm sure it makes total sense when I read it again. Aiton, maybe Aiton, Aiton. I'm gonna think that's right. Aiton. I hope that name's right. It says, is there a difference in quality uh, with Novo versus N Nano? I got guitars in the brain. Is there a difference in quality with nano versus normal size? I don't use a battery, so if uh, quality is the same. Uh, you know, the manufacturers tell me all the time that the nano pedals are the same. You know, they're just using smaller components, smaller things. Uh, personally, listening to them, a lot of times I 
don't hear a difference at all. And sometimes I think the smaller ones sound better. Um, so, uh, I have not heard, I've not, like, I've tried a lot of pedals with a full size and the nano and I have both. And, you know, I mean, both versions, like there's no, I've no specific desire to go, no, I don't use the nanos. So like, there's nothing that it's flagged me as like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. So I'm going to say they're the same in my, to my ears, almost all of them come across the same, very few exceptions to that uh, I've experienced, but I'm sure there is some, but I haven't experienced them. Um, Uh, Johnny Watkins says, Hey, Phil, I'm hoping uh, for some advice. I got a rosewood fingerboard lifting off a maple neck under the low E. Sure. So it's separating right there, right? Probably where the nut is, right? Where the fretboard's starting. So right where it's touching the nut, separating apart. That's common. Uh, is it fixable? Absolutely. Uh, would it be an expensive job for my local tech? Uh, no, it shouldn't be. Uh, let me tell you what I would do. Again, not looking at it, not knowing all of the variables going in. I'm just assuming because I've seen that issue so many times that you're having that issue. Um, what I would probably do is take the strings off, take the nut off, um, and uh, you know, kind of flex it a little bit and kind of see how open that that is. And then I would... Um, Make sure I have a little cool little, I don't know, a little piece of metal. <laughs> it's a very technical tool that I have. Uh, basically, a little thin piece of metal, and I clean out any dirt and debris, because there might be dirt and debris in there. You know, sometimes you're, the skin uh, from your hand to get in there, or just little pieces. Might even be a chip of wood in there causing the separation. You know what I mean? So I basically use this, like, I, I don't want to say spatula, but it's like a little piece of flat metal I have, and I can just clean out things, right? And I just use it. Um, you can use a razor blade, too. I mean, just anything to clean that stuff out. Make sure it's clean. And then, um, and like I said, barring I didn't see anything crazy going on, uh, I would inject some tight bond wood glue that's it no fancy super glue no epoxies no crazy stuff just type on wood glue um uh, i have a syringe to do it you know if you just took your thumb and worked it in there <laughs> a good amount in there it'd be more than fine um squeeze it clamp it down with some clamps use uh use um uh, something underneath the neck um i have a wood cradle that has cork on one side but you know obviously you understand the concept you have two if you have a clamp with rubber ends and you can put something so it doesn't mar the finish on the back of the neck compress it just enough to where the the gap closes tight take your uh i use a damp paper towel clean off all the excess glue i know that's uh stupid but it is too there that wait a second because there'll be more glue in a second <laughs> get get the glue uh 24 hours i like to double that to 48 hours because why not and uh then uh go back unclamp it uh you know take care of uh, what happens a lot of times this is what i'm saying this is why i'm saying sometimes you use something a uh, lot of rubber uh a lot of the rubber they use on clamps, if you put it against the fretboard or the neck, if there's no finish on the neck, but especially the fretboard with no finish, you said rosewood, you'll notice when you lift it, it's like that imprint is there, not imprinted, but it's like a, a silhouette of it where it sucked all the moisture out of the fretboard. So put something between that. You know what I mean? Um, you could use a cloth. You could use a piece of paper. You can use a piece of wood. Wood's better if you have a, something flat wood, you know what I mean, put there. So again, you use that as a clamp. Again, not a big deal, right? Even if it did, you did bear ru rubbery point. You just got to moisturize the, 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 uh, use some, um, uh, fretboard conditioner and stuff, get some oil, get some oil in there basically. And, um, uh, basically do that and then put the nut, glue the nut back on, restring it. That's it. So the reason I explained that to you is that's probably what your tech is going to do something along that lines, barring there isn't any other issues. Um, 
So I would imagine the expense on that would be very low. Me, if that was all you were dealing with, uh, you know, right? I didn't see anything else and I didn't see any problems. Um, I would probably, in uh, uh, me personally, what I would do is probably loosen the strings. I probably wouldn't take them off because I have a, a thing that spreads the strings out of the way. Um, do everything I told you. Take the nut off. Do the glue. Clamp it. Uh, clean it all up. And put the strings back on there. And if anything works, I charge you a bench fee. My bench fee is 25 bucks. 25 bucks. Like, I don't do anything unless you pay me 25 bucks. <laughs> so I call that, it's just a bench fee. It's like, if I put it on the bench, it's 25 bucks. So like, even if you put on, the, if I put it on the bench and I go, nope, it works great. It's 25 bucks. It's like a bench fee. So, um, so that's what it would basically be. Cause I wouldn't really, I mean, you just saw what I just, you just heard what I did. Sh sticking a little type on in there and closing it up. So the reason I tell you that is because it's not, I'm not charging $25 because for any other reason than I don't have a lower charge than that. So, and that's, I, my wife uh, and I decided to do a bench fee about eight years ago. And uh, it's the greatest thing I ever did personally for me because I, I am, I was notorious for like just doing stuff like, Oh, that only took a minute. Yeah, it's free. <laughs> and then you don't think about it. And then you go, I did like 50 of those. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, I might as well get paid a little something. Um, if I had a tip jar, I'd probably just leave a tip jar. Maybe somebody throw me a, a couple bucks, but that's just easy. But, um, but that's, that's how you fix it. Okay. That's the last question. <laughs> that's uh, we're going to call it. Um, couple things to note. I should announce them at the beginning of the show, but I will make announcements next week. We are going to have a Christmas Eve podcast live and a New Year's Eve podcast and we are changing the times on those two days. I will make announcements and reminders and send that out on the YouTube uh, thing. It has a thing where I can message people. And uh, what did we decide? We decided instead of the 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, it'll be 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So it's two hours earlier. And that's so I can spend Christmas Eve with the family and check out lights and stuff and also still do a live show and we'll have fun. And then that way the people watch the rebroadcast will still have it over the weekend. Everything will be the same. Very cool. Plus, I think we have something a little exciting uh, for barring some some issues, um, but it will be either on one of those episodes. Um, somebody's sending me a pedal to review. We'll do a live review of the pedal. But the cool thing is I don't know what it is. So we'll just open it together and be like, "What it? what is it? So we'll open it up. And then I'll plug it in and I have a rig here I can go through and we'll check it out and have some fun, do some cool stuff together. All right, guys. So hopefully I'll see you guys then. Like I said, two hours earlier, 1 p.m. Pacific time for both those dates. On that note, I'm going to let you go. All right, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Till the next time, know your gear. <laughs>